Jimmy Capra talks about an early crisis of confidence he had. Next thing I get a call from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office. And they said, hey, we, we were deconflicting. Looks like we're targeting the same guy. We'll come and meet you. So now I'm like, okay. So I meet this uh, sergeant. And then forget it, Sergeant Ed Huffman. I'd, we'd wind up being one of my close friends. We lost him to cancer a few years ago. And we're, we're sitting out there. And I tell him, I, I see him. I said, well, sergeant, I said, this is, and I am like, I feel like I'm back in the military. This is what I got. This is what I have. This is this, that, and the other thing. And he's asking me a million questions. I'm, I'm, this is exactly You're an open book. You're an open I'm book. I'm just everything. And then he had, and he was such a, he was such a phenomenal guy, a great mentor. Uh, you know, he looks at me and he asked me a few more questions. And I remember looking at him and said, Sergeant, can I tell you something? And he just looks at me, yeah, Jimmy, what's up? I go, and I, I'm, this is exactly what I said. I go, I have no idea what I'm doing. Welcome to Game of Crimes. All right, welcome back, all you major players and playerettes, and anything in between. We will just throw letters at it until we get something that fits you. Welcome back to Game of Crimes. I am the major player and the major host of this major podcast, Major Morgan Ride, and I'm here with Private. This will be Colonel Steve Murphy. I'm going to whip his ass later. Don't worry, but you can call yeah, me Murph. Colonel, Colonel, <laughs> right, <laughs> Colonel. Uh, you got to have some fun. All right, Colonel. Hey, guys, thanks for joining us again. This is going to be, uh, we're, we're going to have some fun. We actually had a great episode last time. Uh, we got so many great comments about Tommy Sendrick and the takedown of the modern James Bond villain, Paula Rue. That was cool. And I'll tell you what, Tommy holds the record, man. 4,722 <laughs> uses of the F-bomb, and that was just in one, one part. <laughs> uh, and I believe that's true. <laughs> Good man, though. Good man. Good man. You want this is the type of guy you want on your side. He is relentless as they come, and you know what? It just proves you can just run, but you'll just go to jail tired. And Paul Larue went to jail very tired. <laughs> well, that's true. When he, uh, you know, they had to carry him there. He was so tired he couldn't be carried out to the. He, he had to be carried out to the jail. See the pictures on GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. Go to the episode page. You'll see Paul Larue was a big guy. Took yeah. they had to use two belly chains on the front of him, you know, and leg irons to handcuff him. There's no way you were going to use regular handcuffs on this guy. Hey, what a snappy dresser he was, wasn't he? Oh. Looked like he was wearing burlap bags and baggy shorts. <laughs> well, we hope you guys enjoyed that. And if you enjoyed it, there's a way to show us. Just on head, head on over to Apple and Spotify. Hit that thing called Cinco Stars. Cinco Stars, that's five stars. Hit those five stars. There are no other stars available for Game of Crimes. Only five stars. We want you to hit the five stars. Did I mention five stars, Steve? Did I, I mention think that? so. Enough? Be sure you get that in there. Five stars, all right? <laughs> and then also head on over to our website, gameofcrimespodcast.com. We've got the stuff on there. We've got the book list. Um, got uh, this episode we have coming out today. Uh, Jimmy Capper, we'll talk about him in a minute. He's got several books we're going to put on oh, there. Yeah. This, this, this guy's written a few, some children's books and stuff. But head on over there. And in fact, we've got some guests coming up too that also have some books. So make sure you get that, our merch, uh, our mailing list. Also follow us on that thing called social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But where you got to be, where you got to be, where you got to be is on Patreon.com. We have just secured our schedule for recording and we are going to be coming out with chris and dave we will tell you more about it later but this will be season three of narcos the takedown of the car cali cartel by the guys 
who took down the Cali cartel. We thought, what a better way to do this. We had you and JP taking down Pablo. Yep. We got Chris and Dave taking down the gentleman of the Cali cartel. Yep. Where, where else do you get this stuff, Murph? Where, tell me, where else do you Nowhere. find this stuff? This is Game of Crimes is the only place. And it's cool because they're going to talk about what you saw in Narcos and what's true and what's Hollywood. And they're going to tell some stories that uh, they weren't allowed to tell, maybe in the show. And uh, we told them, if you don't have any funny stories, don't come on the show. So let's see what happens here. I mean, you, you guys know me. I've got a country accent. Well, they say when Dave Mitchell speaks Spanish with his accent, it comes out really funny. So We're going to have some fun. And we're going to find out what the hell possessed you guys to go out into that field. Yes, That's absolutely. Gonna be the- <laughs> Absolutely. So, but you're going to have to listen if you want to find out. Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Yep. Plus, we've got our new uh, series called 911 What's Your Emergency? That's coming out. We've got our live stream coming out where uh, we are reviewing. By the time you hear this, we will have reviewed Silence of the Lambs and talk about Hannibal Lecter and why he I, likes to eat your liver with uh, fava beans and a bottle Ugh. of nice Chianti. Oh, that's so gross. Yeah. So, well, I know because who would who would mix liver and, you know, fava beans? I mean, they just don't go together, especially with the Chianti. So but you got to come listen to our analysis of that. Also, head on over to PayPal.com. Use our email, Game of Crimes podcast at gmail.com or PayPal.me slash Game of Crimes, whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show and for us to help bring you even more exciting content. But before we get started even further, a quick disclaimer, as they say, this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We do take the story seriously, but we will never take ourselves serious. <laughs> it's too much fun. <laughs> and I've got proof that we don't take ourselves serious. Wait till you hear this next part. And guess what time it is, Murph? Oh, it's time for Small, Small Town Police, Police Blotters. Blotters. You move to Florida, you're getting really slow, man. you got to pick it up. So, Turtle hey, speaking- Land. Turtle land down here. Well, this is why you wouldn't uh, survive in this next story. This comes to us via Christy Kelly from our Game of Crimes fan group. She's always coming up with something, isn't she? Oh, good stuff, Christy. Good (laughs) stuff. (laughs) So even though it's not a small town, it's still a hell of a funny story. So a man tells a judge that Dale Earnhardt Sr., you know, the intimidator, number three, who died, Mm -hmm. uh, told him to drive the wrong way on the freeway. He said that this was his (laughs) – authorities arrested Daniel Asif. What a name, Asif. Uh, 51 Friday on suspicion of crashing into multiple cars and bicycles. Jail records show he faces charges, including attempted murder, battery, and driving under the influence. Well, there's a shock, right? He said this was for Dale Earnhardt Sr., the intimidator. He added that the late NASCAR driver told him to drive the wrong way to get the mayor's attention to bring NASCAR back to the city. (laughs) How do you spell dumbass? (laughs) Well, here, here comes another shock. Guess what else he was under the influence of? Had heroin and meth in his system. At the time of his arrest. A tweaker on top of everything else. Good Lord. Well, and here's what will not come as a shock. He was scheduled to appear in court for a competency hearing, so he remains in jail on a half a million dollar bond. What a moron. <laughs> he doesn't even have an L on his forehead. He's got a big I for idiot. <laughs> well, here comes, the, here comes the one with the S on your forehead because it stands for shrimp. Because this comes from Terry Burroughs, again, from our Game of Crimes fan group. you got to get into the super secret fan group. We've got our, we got our fan page, our main one, and then we have our group, our super secret group. Man breaks into home, takes bath, eats shrimp, and leaves $200 for damages. A New Mexico man, Steve, 
who alleged no he didn't allegedly broke in he broke in he, well they say i, I i'm going to have a whole series on the use of the word allegedly anyway yeah. <laughs> took a bath ate some shrimp and drank a beer before being confronted by the homeowner has been arrested this guy's name terrell christensen 34 was arrested for breaking into the home after smashing a window when he was confronted by the homeowner he apologized told him he just needed a warm place to sleep and left the man 200 dollars to repair the window well the man had a rifle with him when he left the home according to police so christensen told investigators he was caught in a blizzard sunday and was afraid he would freeze. Police told him he felt bad about breaking the window and had left money for the owner. Uh, anyway, while he broke, asked why he broke into the home, the man said his family was killed in East Texas and he was running from somebody. Wow, he's conscientious. He left money, even though he's a criminal. Wow. What? I, did. I tell you, every time we do this, we, we discover a whole new class of morons out there. Oh, well, <laughs> we are going to now up the game here, Steve. Oh, geez. Because uh, I'm going to read you the uh, headline in just a second. A Louisianan, 22, was spotted trying to enter multiple parked cars. An accused auto burglar told Louisiana cops that he was sleepwalking when he entered a park pickup late Wednesday, according to an arrest affidavit. He was uh, police were responding to a call about somebody pulling on door handles in the parking lot of a Monroe apartment complex. They spotted Christopher Samuel walking away. A uh, witness told officers he had, you know, they observed this guy trying to enter multiple vehicles. When the cops confronted him, he reportedly admitted entering the pickup, but did so because he said he was sleepwalking. Well, how do you know you're sleepwalking? <laughs> I don't know. Does he wake himself up snoring? I mean, I, I, you know, the cops show up and you're like, oh, well, how this did is, I get here? This is some magic sleepwalking because the court <laughs> filing does not indicate where Samuel purportedly had been snoozing when he began sleepwalking, but his home address is more than three miles from the spot where he was apprehended. <laughs> That's a long sleepwalk. <laughs> that is some magic sleepwalking, my friends, some magic oh, sleepwalking. You know, I, it's just amazing the stories that people come up with, and they think, you know, cops are going to believe this crap. You know, and I was talking to some people this morning, and they said, you're probably used to people lying to you. I said, that's what everybody does. Do you expect them to lie to you? Well, here, let me lie to you. Let me, let me, uh, I'm going to give you a date and see if you agree with it. So guess what? Okay. It's time for what year was it? So this one comes to us from the Richmond News Leader in Richmond, Virginia. This happened on June 19th. You're just going to have, I'm going to give you a year, and you're going to have to tell me if the year is correct now. So I'm going to try and lie to you and convince you that it's this year. All right? Confessions name officer and attorney. Believe it or not, this comes out of Detroit. Detroit police say kidnapping racket revealed by gang members. Detroit police today announced that they had obtained confessions involving a high police official. In those days, high meant high ranking, not Snoop Dogg high. <laughs> <laughs> and a prominent attorney from Joseph Legs Lehman, convicted kidnapper, another member of Lehman's gang of kidnappers and murderers. Lehman told a detailed story of the kidnapping racket in Detroit covering almost 10 years during his reign of terror, which culminated last year in the kidnapping and murder of David Cass, son of Garen Cass, wealthy retired real estate man. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of ransomware money was collected. Lehman said he decided to tell all he knew after he found out he was being double-crossed by the police official in the kidnapping of Heron Cohn, retired furniture dealer. Uh, 20000 ransom money was left in an automobile and taken by the official. Cohn was freed, but Lehman received none of the money. He got stiffed, Steve. A kidnapper uh, and a crook got stiffed by a high I'm, police official. I will probably lose zero sleep over this story. Lose zero sleep. So, Steve, I'm going to tell you right now, this occurred on June 19th, 1927. No, there was no ransomware back then. Not ransomware, ransom. You said ransomware. No, I said ransom. 
No, you better go back and listen to it. You mentioned ransomware. I can edit this out, and it will say I said ransom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to say that's uh, false. Well, then what year was it? <laughs> I don't know. In the 19, <laughs> let me think, 20, uh, 2019. 2019? Yeah, I don't know. No. <laughs> January 19th, 1930. There you go. Look Ni- there. Now, how many times? This year is just my year. I'm getting all of these right. You didn't get this one right at all. You were off. You said 29. No. You said ransomware. <laughs> <laughs> Why would well, I be talking about ransomware and kidnappings? See, you lied to start with. Now you're still lying. How you do you know? You're lying. I know. How do you know I'm lying? Well, because I can see you on video and your nose is growing. Uh, no, I know. You know how I know you're lying? Your lips are moving. <laughs> there you go. There we go. Anyway. When it is edited, it will say that I said ransom, not <laughs> ransomware. <laughs> anyway. All right. Everybody, just, you know, log in and tell us Murph's right. You know, Morgan's fully, you know what. Yeah. Well, anyway, back to our regularly scheduled intro for our next <laughs> podcast. So in our next one yeah, coming up, we go. this name came up during our episode with Tommy Sindrick. This, came, this name has come up with some other folks. And we thought it would be cool to get somebody in who helped investigate the largest seizure of cocaine, I mean, I think ever, right? Uh, in DEA, at least in the United States, domestic seizure. I, I don't. I haven't heard of anything bigger. At that time, it was the largest uh, because you know not only was the coke there, the cash was there, which is really unusual because they never put the cash and the coke the same. You know, the dope and the drugs don't go together. But this guy that we're bringing on, James Capra, Jimmy Capra, superhero. Love this guy. Had the opportunity to work for him when he was chief of operations at DEA. This, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, this is a man that you would want to work for. He's, uh, in our you know, law enforcement jargon, we'd say he's a cop's cop. This is a guy that you can trust. This is a guy when he gets his butt chewed out, doesn't share it with everybody else. You know, with him, the buck does stop here. He's got the responsibility. And, and you know what? I keep saying I don't have heroes, but Jimmy is a man that I truly admire. I mean, even into retirement, the guy's doing fantastic things. Yeah, he is. And he's got some great books, which we'll talk about on this episode. But the only way to find out how cool Jimmy is and hear about his books is we got to ask you one question, Murph. Are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the game of crimes? Ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to believe what you're getting ready to hear. So get in, sit down, shut up and hold on. Come on, Jamie, let's go. Well, folks, I got to tell you, we almost didn't make it to this podcast between Murph and our next guest we're about to tell you about. I was trying to, hey, guys, how about we save some of this good banter for the podcast? So, (laughs) hey, I think I was able to talk him into it. So welcome to the podcast. No, he's not related to the famous movie producer, Frank Capra. But our buddy, Jimmy Capra. Jimmy, welcome to Game of Crimes. Woo-hoo! Thank you, brother. Thanks, guys. It's good to be good, with you. It's good to have you on here. This is, uh, this is you know, I, I, you guys have heard me say this a lot of times. I don't have heroes. I have people that I respect and I look up to. And this is one of the guys right here, Jimmy Capra, what he did in DEA, uh, his military service. And you're going to find out why I look up to this guy. <laughs> well, is he taller than you? Nope. 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 <laughs> his, his chest is about twice the size of mine, but I think he He's can a, bitch press me. I think they said that about Dolly Parton one time. She's as tall laying down as she is standing up. Yeah. That sounds like Jimmy, right? Got the yeah. chest going? Yeah. Now, don't give me the hard time about jokes, folks. It's a, it's a joke she said, not I did. So I'm repeating it. So anyway, so, hey, Jimmy, so th- this is fun, too, because we had a great pre-call. 
And the other thing too is we're getting you at the right time because you're going in for shoulder surgery here in a couple yeah. here in a few days, right? It, it actually got canceled. Um, oh, because oh, know, wait a minute! It, you mean we rushed this podcast and yeah. you canceled on us? I can't believe this. <laughs> so at the last minute, I had uh, I started coughing. I went and see my doc, and and uh, he said, "Hey, you got bronchitis. That's why I'm trying to make sure I can hit the mute mic because I'm hacking and I'm on a albuterol." But he said, "Ah, we should put it off for a couple of weeks." So yeah, which I was like, eh, "Okay, if we have to." Oh, I, we I, I went through it with my right shoulder and two years ago they said your left is going to have to do the same thing. So that's what, that's what you pay for trying to be a tough guy lifting weights all those years. Bro, See, I, yeah. I've been through both shoulders and, and the one on the left, they found arthritis in there and they scraped uh, it out and that just extended the recovery time yeah, like a yeah, month. Yeah, yeah. This sounds like a freaking AARP podcast. You, that's it. You know you've come of age. I was just up with a good friend of mine. You know we come of age when we sit around talking about, yeah, I had that. Oh, I had that yeah. time too. Hey, did you get this checked out? Like, hey, check my scar yeah, over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start talking about weird things. So, yeah. Uh, I've had well, the right knee done. I'm going in for the left knee here in about three weeks. There you go, man. This sucks. Getting old sucks. <laughs> Damn. Well, hey, I'll tell you what. How about we get back to our regularly scheduled podcast? Oh, I, I so. keep forgetting Morgan's on here with us, Jimmy. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, as we do with everybody, other than talking about our aches and pains, you know, oi, my back, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, at this stage. Um, hey, we always want to start off with everybody. It's kind of like. You kind of had a unique path of getting into law enforcement because you had you had uh, armed service ADD, if we can call that ASS ADD, you know, <laughs> ASAD, right? <laughs> so how the hell did you end up in law enforcement considering you were what? You were uh, Air Force, Navy, and then, of course, the best branch of all, Army. So let's talk about your path of going through that and finally ending up at DEA when you finally figured out what you wanted to be. Yeah, the, that's pretty easy. I want to... I, uh... My dad was a New York City police officer and, and uh, got hurt on the job pretty bad, broke his back and neck on motors, and we moved to upstate New York in a, probably one of the poorest counties up there. Big family, seven of us, six boys and a girl. And, hey, Jimmy, how long was he on NYPD before that accident? Because this is going to tie into a story about your dad that I think is just really poignant you know, and relevant. Yeah, he was. He was. his total police time was 16 years. He was a Korean War guy, got out and, and joined the Port Authority for three years, and then went over to New York City. And then uh, did foot patrol uh, radio cars, that's what they called them back then, radio cars, and then went to Motors. Motors was the elite uh, uh, thing, and he, he was coming off the Grand Central Parkway one morning, and bike slipped out, and he hit a, a box truck. He said, the last thing I saw was going over to the telephone pole house. But he was a bull because oh. he was an artillery guy during Korea. So uh, uh, landed on the base of his neck. And, and by the grace of God, he fractured his neck, but uh, broke his back. But a few years later, had surgery. And they said, you're not going to, you're not working anymore. So uh, we moved well, on. When you, when you say he joined the elite group of the motors, that means the cool guys, right? Yeah, no, it, you know what? Uh, motor officers, you know, they, they uh, uh, and if there are any motor officers listening, they'll tell you there's, my father would say there's two types, uh, those those who are fallen and those who are going to fall. So, yep. but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we, yeah. so we grew up, you know, kind of grew up um, as I got older with stories about the police department, but they were, they weren't stories about there I was, you know, there, there was, my dad would talk about things like, you know, people eking out in existence. So I used to hang on every word when he would, when he would be talking stories. Anyway, long and short of it is I was a horrible student as with most of my brothers and barely got out of high school. No kidding. You know, we were, told early on that we'd never amount to anything. And uh, that's, that doesn't, you know, it's, it's not because it makes a good story. It was, it's actually true. Who were you told that by? I had a teacher walking down the hall one day 
And uh, we were good students. Well, I mean, we were good kids. My good father, people. Wouldn't, he wouldn't put up with, you know, you don't, you're disrespectful work ethic, but terrible students, man. I, I still don't know. I laugh, you know, how I got out of high school. Matter of fact, I always say, when I go out to speak, I said, if I, I wouldn't know why they'd be alive or even if they'd remember if I had any teachers and they say, you know, that guy, he's, you know, he writes books. He has a couple of degrees. He had a successful career. They would say, oh no, that, that guy is bomb. He's probably, he made all that up. <laughs> you know, Jimmy, I got to tell you, that is something I've heard so many people forget what the narrative is for a kid. When you've told that over and over again, oh, you can't be a teacher and telling girls back then, oh, you can't do this. Yeah. And you can't be doctors. People don't realize the power, right, that that narrative has on you. Yeah, and, and yeah. when we later on we'll t- when we talk about leadership, we'll talk about that that thing that your your tongue is the power to to destroy and to heal. But yeah, so this uh, one, t- you know, one teacher he's a miserable, you know, and I, I would have liked to take a, a chair to his head. And I swear, mm-hmm. I, I thought, like my father would he'd kill me if I said anything or did anything. And so uh, barely got out of high school and joined the military. I was actually sitting around for a year, tried to go to community college, but I was working three jobs. And, uh, and that's, again, just, just kind of an expectation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, uh, and then just realizing, I, I, you know, you wake up and go, man, is there something more for me? And, you know, we had a pretty strong faith and always have. And, and you start wondering, what, what really am I here for? What's my purpose? And I remember coming home one night after washing UPS trucks and uh, my dad was sitting there and I remember looking at him and said, Pop, I can't stay here. I got to get out of here. This is crazy. And we had a long conversation about the military. And a few weeks later, next thing you know, I was signed up, headed on my way to in two months, Navy boot camp. And, uh, uh, you know, so, oh, come on now, Navy boot camp, the hardest thing about Navy boot camp. I mean, it's just putting on your shoes. It's really not well, that it's, tough it's, in the Navy. It's, come a little, on. it's a little bit harder than Air Force boot camp. I would say that. Well, that's <laughs> the hardest thing about Air Force boot camp is picking which chow hall you're going to have yeah. your five star meal. In. So my, uh, my whole family covers all the services. My brother, my, uh, I'll never forget my brother when I was off to boot camp because he was in the Air Force. He says, Hey, you'll learn to fold your underwear and march. Just shut up and do it. So, uh, <laughs> but I became a corpsman, a, a medic and, uh, uh, or wanted to become one. And then I got to, uh, uh, I got to core school and again was told, I was told by, I never forget the first class. He said, you, you shouldn't be here. You're too stupid. And, uh, cause I couldn't do medical math. You had to change, you know, grams into milligrams and all this other stuff. So, but, you know, I struggled, but, but, you know, we had two guys, um, in my class who were, who were smart guys who for whatever reason, took a liking to me and helped me get through. So, um, and then when I landed at my, I, and of course I was in at the most peaceful time you can be in. Um, you know, Carter was the president back then. We were, we had just pulled out a few years earlier of Vietnam and there wasn't, uh, I, I didn't get deployed. I didn't go out on a ship, but I fell in love with, uh, I think serving. I fell in love with the uniform. I, 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 I became a, a, you know, what we call a 4-0 sailor. I I was strapped. I love my job, but you still now, hold on there for a second. That is a term I've used before other folks and a lot. It may have gone past people, but that is a unique military term. When we talk about strack, yeah. let's talk about strack for a second. What did it mean to be strapped? Well, you, 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 you know, you came to work early. Your uniform was impeccable. You know, your, your military bearing was impeccable. Uh, you understood your rank. You understood where you, you know, where you were on the totem pole. You, you respected the authority and, the officers and your command and everything. That's, you know, you did your and job. 4-0. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's just like a college GPA. You know, you can from one zero to four zero. That's I, I kind of always moved in that direction because if you you get focused on that, uh, not to be morally superior, but to be you know you want to be proud about how you serve. And my dad, my dad used to say this all the time. He would say, and I I've carried this my whole life. I've written about it. My dad said, "You want to be the kind of person." I remember when we were young. You need to be the kind of person. First, he'd say, "I don't care if you're a garbage man or you're a brain surgeon. Uh, you, you going to work on time is being late. That's number one. Number two, you want to be the kind of person that people look at and say, "I want them on my team. I want them in my unit." Not because you were some kind of you were so better. It's because you can be relied on. You can be trusted. Uh, your character, your integrity, but he never used those words, right? He never, mm-hmm. he never used character. He never used integrity. You know, he he had a tenth grade education, but he, I used to tell people he was one of the smartest men I've ever met. So, mm-hmm. uh, two heroes in my life, him and probably my oldest brother Tony, uh, when I was growing up. So, um, so I, I, that's how did I get to that? In a long way, how did I get to into law enforcement? I, it was really uh, I had a brief brain fart. Uh, when I, I got out and started college, I figured, hell, I was, I've been in um, in medical field. I said, I'll, I'll just become a doctor. And I knew there's no way, there was no way that I have the patience or anything for that. And I remember when I started school, college, I was a pre-med major that lasted one semester. I failed like the lab, the zoology, this, that, the other thing. I said, no, this is not for me. This <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm dissecting a starfish looking for its gonads. I go, what the hell does that have to do with anything? So, uh, funny Murphy does that with alligators in his backyard. Where's them damn gonads yeah. at? You, you better be quick when you find them because yeah, you miss. Man. You're gonna get you bit. ain't got long. <laughs> but I, you know what? I, but I was fortunate. I had a good friend um, that, I, unfortunately, I've lost track of for over 20 years. But we we made a pact. A Navy buddy that went to college and met my wife Shelley the first day of college started dating two weeks later and master to marry me three months later and um this fall will be 40 years wow so uh good for yeah. you guys you know with good behavior she could have been out in 15 yeah, you're a lucky guy i tell yep. people all t- well i tell people well, she's the brains of the outfit man I'm, and i'm not just saying that she she is we had six great kids and they've all Jimmy, you, great you didn't have to say that we already knew that buddy yeah. but thanks for putting that out <laughs> but um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I, and, and when we got married, I transferred down to, to Marist College, and, and they had a criminal justice program, and I fell in love with it, man. And as soon as I got into it, I, I loved every bit of it. And so I started going, okay, I'm, I'm going to go into law enforcement, I'm going to go into law enforcement. And then I read about this, um, this agency, this DEA, and its predecessor, BNDD. And in the... Um, Go ahead. And so tell everybody what BNDD stood for, because that, that you said that was the agency before DEA. Yeah, Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. And uh, when I read about it, it's this because you're, you're young. Listen, it's like anything else, like being in the military. You want to be in the thick of it. You know, my my, my kids are law enforcement and, and military. When they sign up for the military, they, man, they want to be in the thick of it. I want to be. And so I read about this agency and it's, it says one of the most dangerous you know professions you can be in. Um, there's problems with corruption because it's narcotics. There are, you know, horrible people that are involved in it, bad guys. And I'm thinking, yeah, man, I'm see, I'm in my mind, I'm Captain America. This is what I got to do. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you're Captain America though, but you were the scrawny version I at was, that time of Captain it, America. It didn't matter, man. When I was like, this is it, man, give me my shield and I had to go. So my, my, my whole last two years in school, that's, you know, I, I worked hard to get high grades and, 
um, I was I was in Army ROTC as well, and I applied. Uh, what year did you graduate from college? Eighty five. I was a little bit oh. older than most of the guys starting college back then because I'd already been out for a while. But uh, but it was good. It 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 really was good. It's funny because my my dad would tell my mom earlier they'll 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 wake up someday and realize they're not that stupid. You know, so <laughs> uh, it's just a true statement, man. It's absolutely true because most of us are late bloomers, my brothers and everybody. It's uh, kind of amazing. But yeah, um, graduated um, and went to military intelligence school and probably one of the hardest schools I've ever been to. Were you at Fort Huachuca? Or yeah, where? Fort Huachuca went down there and, and wanted to be a pilot and had passed everything in my last flight physical. They found I had astigmatism So because I thought, can you see me in a flight Dude, flight we are suit? like brothers from a different mother. It was called the FAST packet back then. You had to pass the FAST, I think flight aptitude yeah, simulation. Yeah. I went through the same thing. I was I had a slot at Fort Rucker, Alabama, yeah, Army too. ROTC. I had a slot and some fucking six-year-old kid comes off the, I was staying out of trouble, six-year-old kid comes off the roller skating rink, hits the carpet, dives into my left knee. I am in a cast from my toe to my crotch oh. all summer long. Good for the sympathy thing with girls. Bad for when I got out of it. They brought me back in. They looked at my leg and they said, you ain't going You're anywhere, going, pal. Yeah. Well, that's well, kind of with the me. Difference, Go ahead. Murphy. The difference here, Jamie, was they were going to use him for a target. They were going to make you a pilot. <laughs> Well, I was. A, I, I would have been a very tough target. <laughs> yes, I got when I when I graduated and got a commission. I got assigned to a combat aviation uh, um, unit out of uh, upstate New York, and they were going from uh, Cobras into the attack helicopters. And I'm going, oh, I'm going to look so good in a flight suit. Oh, this is going to be my <laughs> wife is going to be drooling every day. And uh, I remember sitting in the down in the Fort Dix, sitting in the doctor's chair, and he kept going back and forth and back and forth. I'm like. Wait, I can, what, what the hell is going on? He says, I can't pass you. What do you mean can't pass me? He said, I can't pass you. He says, you have astigmatism. I said, Doc, you don't understand. You see, I'm going to be an attack helicopter pilot, and I'm going to be a DEA agent. You don't mm -hmm. understand. You're, you're getting in the way here. He goes, I can't pass you. I can't. I got to tell you, um, in those moments when they put that, you know, when you, you look at your flight physical and says, you know, fail in non-ADH, non I forget what it was, but it's pretty clear you ain't flying. And I thought, oh, God, this is it. I'm, I'm done. Yeah, but, Jimmy, you know, during that time, I had guys that were would have been in my class had I made it to Fort Rucker. But you know what happened? Years later, you fast forward to when Clinton was in office and they were declaring the peace dividend. So many people that had 15, 17 years in, they were majors or lieutenant mm -hmm. colonels or CW4s, which you'll find chief warrant officer yeah. fours a lot in the flight. Guess what? They were given $75,000 said, thank you for your later. service. Yeah. Yeah. Riffed out. No, no retirement. But I'll tell you, you know, and I'll say this all the time, kind of unapologetic about my faith and where we stand. So I become a military intelligence officer, one of the hardest things, uh, schools I've ever been to. No, no kidding. Uh, my wife will tell you the same thing. I was like, oh my God. Back then it was still the red threat. And so you had to learn about, mm -hmm. you had to learn about people and commanders and units and all sorts of stuff. Long and short of it, I'm still waiting for DEA. I graduate academy, the rather uh, intelligence, and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and waiting. Finally, I get, I get, um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. I'm waiting for DEA. But prior to going to Intel school, I get an interview down in New York City, Manhattan, and I'm sitting there. You got to understand, I've ne never been in law enforcement. Been you in the get military, an interview with who? DEA. DEA, in okay. Manhattan. So these three guys sitting there and they start asking me questions and they start asking me questions and they start asking me. And quite frankly, I don't think I'm doing well on, on the interview. And I'm a pretty confident guy. I always have been um, when I got older, when I started real. 
And I'm going, man, I don't think I'm hitting all the buttons. You know, they're asking me about what happens if you, if you answer the door and a guy's standing there and his gut is down by his hand, you know, down by his side. You know, today we'd say we'd blow his freaking brains out. But back then, like, I, I don't know. You know, this is. Mm-hmm. And so when it was all said and done, the, the guy sitting in the middle, I still don't know who it is, who it was. He said, uh, he said, do you have anything to say? I said, yeah, I do. I said, listen, and I'm not law enforcement. I'm basically saying, but if you train me, I guarantee you I'll be a great agent. I'm telling you right now. So they look at me. Guy at the end says to me, let me ask you something. He says, is this military intelligence school always been in Fort Huachuca? I said, sir, as, as far as I know. Goes, no. Next thing, the next 15 minutes, we're having a conversation with a guy who's a prior Army intel guy from a um, station in Laos, you know, for years, going back and forth, blah, 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 tell me. And I'm just listening. And then we're all said done. They said, listen, when you come on this job, and in my mind, I'm going, he just said when I come on this job. Yeah. He just said when I come on this job. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, next thing you know, when I was done with Intel school, I had to wait another year because of classes back then, you know, we were we were not hiring. And then- uh, Hey, Jimmy, were you, so were, were you reserves then or- uh... Yeah, I was really, because I had, I had almost six years total um, enlisted time. So when I, I joined ROTC, that I wasn't getting paid. It was just, I was just doing it. So I didn't owe a, a anybody anything, but I was in a uh, guard unit where I was going, you know, once a... Okay, I say that either reserves or guard, right? Because yeah. the thing is, if you'd been active duty, it would have been very difficult to punch out oh, no, and take yeah. a DEA job. Yeah, Because so it's, it's funny, you talk about piloting and everything, because it's what I always wanted to do. And, and, and when I got to this combat aviation battalion, I, I got there as the S2, as the intel guy, and the commander who was there said, hey, listen, stay with us for a year. Guarantee you send you to flight school. And I'm like, yeah, great. Well, it's too late. I was already going to L.A. as an agent. So, and then I got assigned, when I got to L.A., I got assigned to the 902nd in my battalion out of the Presidio in, River, in uh, San Francisco, mm-hmm. which was like golf course duty. It was amazing, you know, because <laughs> I was an IMA. I only had to do two weeks a year. Well, before you before you applied for law enforcement, though, didn't your dad have some advice for you? You know, it's funny because uh, most all of his sons or a lot of his sons went some kind of route, either military, law enforcement, or both. And I remember, you know, my dad always says, "Hey, you want to do what you think the Lord's pushing you towards? What's what's in your heart? What's tugging your heart?" You? And when you're young and stupid, and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. He says, "You'll find. Just keep, you know, keep trying to figure out where you want to go." And most of my teachers thought I should be on an assembly line somewhere, put together Legos. <laughs> so, but he came up, I will never forget going up to him and say, hey, dad, I really think I'm, I'm, I really think I'm being called to go into law enforcement. And I never forget him looking at me. He goes, hmm. He goes, you want to be a hero? And I'm thinking to myself, no, dad, see, I, I'm Captain America. That's who I want to be. <laughs> I didn't tell him that. I didn't tell him. Uh-huh. He smacked me upside my head. I said, no, you know, I said, you want to be a hero? If you want to be a hero, he said, become a fireman. Everybody loves a fireman. <laughs> He goes, you want people that hate, despise you, become a cop. And I'll, I'll never forget it. Never, ever, ever forget it. And it's so true. We deal with that to today because the fire, I got buddies who are firefighters, right? They said, hey, look, the difference between you and us, the public loves us. Yeah, that's no, true. Yeah. So true. So, he true. Used to, so he used to go, oh, what the heck magazine or newspaper did he get all the time? And he saw a picture of a fireman carrying out a baby. And I'm, I'm listening to him yelling and screaming. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Why is he mad? He goes, because two shots earlier, the, the friggin' guy from the precinct, the cop, 
is probably coughing out his lungs and handed that baby over to the fireman. And now the fireman's the hero. And the cops puking on the side of the room, you know, the tenement uh, building. This sounds suspiciously like the FBI and local law enforcement. <laughs> hey, we have we are required by Virginia state law and Florida law to make one FBI joke every podcast. We love them, go. but hey, we're required. Right? That's it. That's it. There's our time. Yeah, and by the way, Jimmy, if if you need to hack up a lung or something, you just let us know. We'll just give us text us your address in case we got to send EMS over to you. I keep forgetting to hit you. I'm sorry. No um, problem. Uh, but yeah, so that's you know, and I I was uh, I really was very, and I'm not kidding. You, I was very fortunate um, to to come on the job at the t- at the time. They weren't hiring a whole lot of people, and when I look out, when I look back and look at the steps and the places where I've been, I go, man, I, I couldn't have. You know, I, I couldn't have written this script. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when you, you see your walk and you go, that's so why, you know, again, I go, Lord, thank you. I look back and through the bumps and everything. I go, this, it's what a ride, man. What a great ride. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think a lot of us are like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. You know, it is. It's, and it's not that any of us are immune from anything, you know, from, from problems and tragedies and all the other stuff. It's just that kind of look at stuff and go, this is what a ride, man. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a lot of it has to do with your attitude. Are you a, are you a glass half empty or a glass half full kind of guy? Yeah, that... no, I, I, you know, I've always been that guy that goes, okay, it's all right. It, it, what have we got? A little bit left, then we can keep going. Mm-hmm. Is there a little bit? Let's cut. Well, let's keep, you know, let's keep going, man. Don't don't you know? Don't stop. Don't stop. And again, I attribute a lot of that to, you know, my father's teaching and stuff about, hey, listen, you you, you got you know, get to work, get to work on. Time. He would, he he really was big on. Um, your 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 integrity but again he never used that but he used mm-hmm. to say all the time a liar is worse than a thief and yeah i remember so a liar is worse than a thief he would say so those are you know the, they're those those foundational principles in in our in our life um that now of course if you looked at us kids when we were younger you'd just go what a box of freaking rocks you know <laughs> But I'm going to be Captain America. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, you know yeah, why? Yeah. It's because I'm Batman. Yeah. I'm no, yeah. I'm Batman. You're Robin. We've had this talk. I'm not saying I'm Batman, and I'm not saying I'm not Batman. Just me and Batman have never been in the same room together at the same time. Just just clearing the area here. But you know, was, and what you're, what you're saying, Jimmy, yeah. about, about following through and don't giving up, that's that's what Morgan and I went through doing with this podcast. Once we hit 50 subscribers, woohoo! Yeah. We're rocking, baby. We're not going to give up. Yeah, we're rocking. <laughs> it is because you know what the, the issue becomes is, and I we see this today in a lot of stuff. It's it's. You know, I'm going to sound like an old guy, but it, it's too easy to give up anymore about anything. I mean, it is about it. You know, but about anything. I even you know when I talk to you know some men's groups and stuff, I tell them stop with the whole easy giving up. I got a bump in my marriage. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm dumping. I'm, I'm getting out. You know, the same thing. In, in, and we've all had, when you look back in your career, I, my first year on, on DEA, you know, I went from, I was in. Uh, uh, hey, let's talk about that. What year did you start? What You finally got on. What year was that? 87. I got on in 87. Uh, went down to Quantico. Um, met, you know, you know, I, I still do. My, one of my best friends who's now retired up in Oklahoma, but. Went back to Manhattan and couldn't believe how much fun this job was. Just, you know, when I was on, I think we were talking yesterday, I, I came on probably at the tail end of the cowboy days in narcotics, what I would call, you know, the whole, you know, the whole thing, you know, on, on search warrants, you kick a door and the first one to the back of the room wins, 
you, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> the, uh, my first introduction of, this is the other thing, when I look back, I said, the Lord, thank you for keeping me safe. But I remember getting ready. I had my brand new vest from Quantico. We were going out to rip somebody for three kilos in Manhattan. And I grabbed my vest. I'll never forget this, man. One of the guys in the group says, what are you doing? I said, I'm grabbing my vest. He said, only cowards wear vests. Oh. And, and you know what I did as a young agent? I went, You laid okay. it down. I said, okay. Yeah. That, it, oh, my gosh. Yeah, only cowards wear vests. So, I went, oh, okay, that's it. So me and my badge on a chain and my 357 and two-by-two two pouch and a pair of handcuffs, we, we went out, all went out together. Look out, here comes Jimmy. Yeah. Well, and I think we ought to talk about that for a second, too. You mentioned that during our pre-call, but I want to dive into it. Your two-by-two two pouch, people have to remember, before there were semi-automatics, yeah. there were what we used to call wheel guns, yeah, you know, our revolvers, right? And when I first got out of the, actually my second academy, but uh, the state patrol, we were so advanced, we didn't have speed loaders. We had ammo dumps. You yeah. had to dump one, six rounds into your hand and load them one at a time yeah. into the revolver. Yeah. What was your two-by-two? Two? Yeah, that's what it was, man. Six rounds on your belt, man. And I'll tell you what, you get pretty good after your well, – I will say this, man. DEA taught us how to shoot DEA, yeah. and, and, and reload because there's so many – you know, I think one of the most – we always would hear about the horrible shooting in, in Northern California where the guys were doing the same thing. They were reloading one by one, and a couple of cops got wiped out and stuff because of their training – um, but yeah, so it was all 357 blue steel, a two by two pouch and, you know, all 165 pounds of me. Yeah. We're Captain America. Let's go. We, <laughs> we need to do this. 10, brother. Look out, baby. I'm, I'm no ass, but no, no, no taser, no, you know, no yep. pepper spray, nothing. Let's go, man. You know, got your, you got your ass right here. That's, That's it, man. Yeah. Let's go. Gonna... And that folks were saying ASP, which is a collapsible <laughs> baton, not ass, yeah. but ass. Right. And it reminds me of Clint Eastwood in the gauntlet I've used this before. He says, what makes you think you can do this? He says, Clyde, because I got the badge, the gun, and the love of Jesus in my pretty blue eyes. Yes. There you yeah. go. Now let's roll, right? It is, but you look back at, oh my goodness. So, uh. And then, uh, How did I survive my initial stupidity on this job? I mean, Boy, I got to say, you know, 1987 was a good year for crops of new agents coming on board because that was, we were all. Well, there was about, the if you look at the, if the groups back then, the teams, 70% of the groups are made up of brand new agents. And so, oh, yeah. It's amazing we'd get more guys hurt or killed. It's so, like that Miami uh, also. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And that's in a, yeah, my oh, I'm telling you, man. So you look back and go, oh, thank you, Lord. And uh, yeah, hey, and Jimmy, but Steve was just talking about '87 being a good car. What year did you get on, Steve? '87. <laughs> <laughs> how far apart? How which? What? How far apart were you guys in terms of classes? You were 48, Jimmy. 48, yeah. I was 53. So yeah, you were, were you were you in Sherman's class, Billy Sherman? No, no. Okay, uh, I know Billy. Very well, but uh, but you no. guys, DEA had several classes going on at the same yeah, time, right? Because you started back, hiring yeah, people. Yeah, back to back. This when uh, Reagan Five signed classes. that big uh, criminal omnibus bill, and boom, they hired like crazy. So, what month did you graduate the academy? Uh, I got there in February, March, April, May. I think I, it was. May. I started the academy in June, so we yeah, just missed each in, other in May. So, uh, yeah, that was yesterday. And yeah. I, like I said, it I seems was like it. I was forty eight, and we just one of my sons. Um, Decided that's what he wanted to do, and he's he was BA two thirty three, 
Like, wow. oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> like when you go back and talk to people about your employee numbers and they go, my employee number is like 697. You said, what was yours? You know, like Two. 138, yeah. you know. You yeah. Know. Uh, I, it's like when, when I got hired by this small police department in uh, upstate New York in Poughkeepsie, I remember seeing the chief and I'm looking at his badge and I think it was like three. And he said, well, that's because originally he was the third guy on the job or something. Like, oh, my gosh, he was older than Methuselah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you get you get through uh now you had mentioned earlier we i kind of want to bring it you know straight line to where we're going to head with this but when you got out of the academy you actually went back to manhattan right because yeah. you were living in poughkeepsie you were living in upstate yeah so my that was a heck i mean that was one of your smarter moves too right driving back and forth from poughkeepsie well, to manhattan well again you know that the 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 group that i i you know, worked with at the time, I, you know, and I, you know, G ride policies and all that other stuff. During the week, I would I would sleep in the division. They had a a little room, a cot, some beds outside the workout place. So I'd sleep there. I had a brother who lived in um, outside of Poughkeepsie in Hyde Park, or sometimes I'd stay with him. And then on a Friday when we're done, I'd drive up to 120 miles up to. Catskill, uh, right outside of Catskill, and because my wife and my daughter at the time, uh, with my my mom and dad were kind enough to let us stay there uh, until we were being transferred. So on the weekends, I you know okay going home, and then Monday morning early, I'd get up at oh dark thirty and and head back to Manhattan. Yeah, baby. And how long did you do that before uh, you ended up out in L.A.? That was, uh, we did that from May till I uh, launched out to L.A. in early August for this uh, that same year. So, but you mentioned something, too. There's one thing you wanted to do. You had to do. You, there's something that was yeah. just burning. You said, I just got to yeah, do this so, before I go. Yeah, so, <laughs> Besides being Captain America, right, what was right. that? So, you know, one of the things, like anything else, is you go, okay, I'm on this job. I have no prior law enforcement experience. But, you know, Uncle, Uncle Sam gave me a gun, handcuffs and bullets. And so we um, got to know these these guys and the crew and they were hardworking, tough narcs. And so we're out at some gym mill, of course, at night and having a couple of beers and sitting around talking. And I remember looking at these guys and that, you got to understand it's 1987. Murph, you'll appreciate this. Mm -hmm. I'm a brand mm -hmm. new guy. I'm not yep. staying there with these guys. You know, there's a lot of. You know, we trust this guy. Do we not trust this? It, it, it's one of those things. You know, you're the boot. You're the you're the rookie. Yeah. Well, for whatever reason, I'm looking around and and uh, again, you know, these guys took a liking to me. And I just said, "Listen, uh, I, ha I have to ask you guys." So I said, "They're looking at me. What?" I go, "I have to arrest somebody." They're just like looking at me. What did you say? I, said, I, I have to, I have to arrest somebody. I have to arrest somebody. You understand? <laughs> I got a, they got hysterical laughing. I mean, they're hysterical laughing because you, you know this is. You know, you dream of this stuff at night. Oh, here we come. You know, I'm gonna. And uh, uh, so, I, I think it was the following a couple of days later. Here we are in Washington Heights, uh, kind of tough area, uh, even back then. And uh, next thing you know, we're we're they're they're either flash. I forget what it was, but some. Uh, and then forget my first arrest was a six foot six Dominican witch doctor. And buddy, you I should have been a poster child. For DEA, man, I was, you know, he came out, they said, that's the guy. And I'm, I'm running up, hands on my gun. I'm standing there with that side thing, you know, like turn around against the wall. I'm like, 
hide this. Is, this is what it's about. Grab my handcuffs, I throw it on him. I had to know what happened after that. Next thing I know, <laughs> this guy kicks off. He gets back. He throws an elbow. I'm doing... I lost my sound. There you go. I'm doing everything possible that they taught me in the academy. Arm bar, this, that, yeah, nothing's working. Nothing's working. Next thing you know, all I know is I jumped on top of the guy, grabbed him by the neck, threw him down. I feel like I'm back wrestling in my wrestling days, trying to stay on top of him. He's got one handcuff on, swinging the other one. In the back of my hand, I hear my training guy from the academy, don't ever let this go. It's a weapon. I'm like, oh, God. Then somebody else jumps in. And all there is is now I'm swinging haymakers to try to get this guy under control. Yep. And what feels like, you know, when you're in a fight, you all know this, is feels like that it's 20 minutes. It's actually probably two or three minutes. And one of yep. the guys jumps in, helps me get him under control. I'm completely out of breath. I'm still excited. I have the adrenaline shakes, right, when I get him under the yep. I got that. I never knew my hands could <laughs> shake that much. Get the adrenaline shakes, and this guy looks at me. He goes, "Hey, kid, welcome to narcotics." I went, "This is great." And and let's put this in perspective. This dude is a six foot six Dominican <coughs> witch doctor. Probably weighs how much? Well, he's, he was, I don't know. He's a he's tall, skinny guy, and I'm thinking it's not going to be any problem at all. I'm Jimmy Capper. I'm right here. Don't worry yeah, about it. And a you, thing. how tall are you, Jimmy? I'm like five ten, and back then I was a buck sixty. <laughs> <laughs> he thought oh, he, hey, he thought he had a mistake. but I looked good, man. I I <laughs> I had a full head of hair. Oh man, I looked good. That Next guy thing thought I he know, had a mosquito on his back. Oh, he tried to knock that mosquito yeah, off. I'm like, oh my gosh, nobody told me about <laughs> this. Everybody's supposed to comply. Nobody told me that people don't comply. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for your first arrest, you know, did you did you utter the magic words once you got him on there, like? You're DEA. You're under arrest. Yeah, uh, I mean, how I did, did it end? Well, b- before there, there was a lot of other things that were coming out of my mouth. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did, you drop, so, did you drop an MF on him? Oh, my God. What? Well, I didn't <laughs> drop, you know. So that's why this guy, would, you know, when he's uh, one of my par- partners at the time, jumped on top. And he was smaller than me. And we finally got him under control. And he just smiled. And he was cool as a cucumber, man. He was, hey, kid, welcome to narcotics. And I just was like. Uh, was yeah. The, and then I'd call some of the other guys around, around the country, especially a good friend of mine. I said, hey, what, what's going on? He said, he said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, my God. He says, wait, I arrested this guy. This By, by now, we, we kind of got on a roll. And I'm like, oh, we're going out. And, and every, it seemed like every time we went out, the, the bad guys wanted to fight. And I'm like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and what were they doing? What were they doing? I was sitting on wires. And they, I remember a buddy of mine, I said, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing out in, in, in L.A.? Because I'm sitting on a wire. I'm like, oh, oh. What? What is that? You know, I'm like, I, and I was joking. I, I knew. But, but, but I mean, what are you doing? Are you going out? He goes, no, I sit on a wire for eight hours a day. I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah, this is really? So, um, oh, uh, you know, as, as a rookie, you're all full of piss and vinegar, oh, man. You just want gosh, to get, you you're wanting wanna, to mix it up. <laughs> you want to burn a blue streak uh, through that town. I'm Jimmy Capra. Yeah. Stand by, everybody. That's yeah, right. That's what I tell people. You don't understand. I'm Jimmy freaking Capra. I'm, I'm, I'm here to save the freaking world. Let's go. You know, Captain so, America calls me when he needs that's something. That's right. So, um, <laughs> uh, and that's why I had this, you know, I'll tell you again, when you look back at your walk. So I, I knew I had, you know, we had to get out and head to uh, LA. I wound up staying an extra month because um, I, I had to do a two week with my unit. And so I got a military, uh, you know, waiver for a couple of weeks. And then and I decided, you know what, I'm going to try to stay in New York. I'm going to try to stay here. And the guys in a group were pushing for me, and the supervisor. Then we had a supervisor push. 
but I'll tell you, man, it was, uh, thank the good Lord that that didn't happen. I mean, really, mm-hmm. truly it's, um, I wound up going to LA and, and still had a blast. Well, let's, let's talk about that move because you grew up in New York. That was the area. Take it. Your wife, Michelle, you, you were saying she was, was she New Yorker native? Yeah, well, yeah. Cause Shelly's from outside of Binghamton. Or Shelly. And, well, it says Michelle on one of the books. Yeah, covers, no, right? yeah, it does. Cause they always want the formal name, but I, you know, we, uh, you call her Shelly. Uh, yeah, I call okay. her Shelly all the time. So, um, and she calls me different things, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I told you we're married to sisters. Yeah. But anyway, so, but, but I remember when I was getting ready to put in for LA, I called her and I said, Hey, listen, I'm thinking about putting in for LA. A couple of guys here are going to go, you know, go there. And not a lot of people want, you know, people didn't want to go to LA, Chicago, uh, New York. Oh my gosh. Nobody wanted to go to San Francisco because they were all high cost, And a lot of, you know, people didn't want to go there. And I said, look, we spent time, you know, in the military and we're on the East coast. And so this, she, and my wife's always been like this. She goes, I'll go where you want to go. And so we put in for LA and got it. And, uh, I'm trying to think when I got out to LA in August of 87 is when I got to LA. Wow. So, I mean, you're kind of getting out there in the heyday of, I mean, cause we had, um, episode number two actually was George Young, um, uh, Pablo's business partner. And he was bringing in dope you know, left and right into Miami, Yeah. you know, and that stuff was being trafficked over to California, you know, and that was becoming obviously a huge hotspot. So when you went out there, what, what was going on? I mean, cause there was a thing too. It's like, uh, most, some of the, some of the older DEA, you know, cowboys called, what did they call Coke? Kitty? Kitty, 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 Dope. Kitty Dope. So when, we, Kitty. yeah, so it, it just tells you, you know, I mean, we're, we're, the agency is so much better today, but back then, we were so compartmentalized, you know, if you didn't work, if you weren't working heroin, you weren't working dope. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were in, in places like LA, they called that when I was going out there, they said, well, that's the surfing d- division. You'll get a nice tan because they don't do anything. And they don't, the reason why is they don't, it's three hours difference. Nobody knows. Nobody was talking. A lot of the guys and gals in headquarters were all East coast people. So like in yeah, LA, what, no one, what the hell's going on out there? Mm-hmm. And in fact, there was a lot going on and, and people weren't, you know, they just either didn't know or just said, nah, that's probably your guessing and things like that. We would find that out in a few years as we watched the Mexican uh, drug cartels just explode. And um, yeah. I, I mean, like South Florida, we, we watched in L.A. the same thing that what happened in South Florida in the early 80s. And now mm-hmm. here it was in, in Los Angeles. And yet we couldn't get anybody and DEA headquarters to really listen to us. And again, I'm not beat. I love my agency, but it's just, it, we like any outfit, we go through phases. We're still trying to figure out, Hey, what's happening. Where's the dope? Where's this? Where's that? The key spots were at the time was Miami and New York. And then Chicago was, you know, wasn't really fully online yet as far as what people were seeing. And of course right. you saw street dope everywhere. But if you weren't working Miami, if you weren't working New York at the time, it's like, eh, you know, eh. You know, that, that way it was like, okay, because those where everybody was keen on. And even back then, when you look, that's a lot of places we were allocating resources to as an, as an agency mm-hmm. as well. Like, man, I know that now, but so they really weren't paying a whole lot of attention to LA. And, and probably when we look back, we, we, you know, from a leadership standpoint back then, they, they probably weren't letting people know exactly what's happened. That's what I mean. From where we were to where they are today is just incredibly different right right it's incredibly different yeah and you know here you are uh your first year on the job trying to convince headquarters 
hey, Coke is, is starting to come up through Mexico here. What the hell you know? You've been on the job a year. You yeah, don't you, don't, you don't have enough time to have an opinion. So, right. but, but we had... And but I'm Captain America. I've made an arrest all on my own of a six-foot-six yeah, yeah, voodoo yeah. doctor. If you can, do you know who I am? If you do that, you can admit <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll track the guy down. Don't worry about it. But yeah. we, I was fortunate um, to work in, a, in a, just a... Most of us were young agents, a group one in, in L.A. Um, it was a little bit of a slow start uh, when, when I first started there. Uh, slow start in terms of, you know, you're like, okay, what are we doing? Well, who's got what? Who's got, and then you look around and 70% of your team are all guys like, or gals like me. They, no time on the job. No, no, <laughs> no, uh, you know, no CIs, no nothing. And I remember one day going in to see my supervisor and I don't know why I was ballsy, you know, maybe just because, you know. You were a New Yorker, man. Exactly. You're, I was going to say the ballsy. same thing. Yeah, it was just, that's the way you were. Hey, you, pal, what's up yeah, with you? So I went in hey. to see my supervisor, and I was a smoker back then, and my supervisor was a smoker, so I was no dummy, you know. So every now and then I'd buy him a pack of cigarettes and I'd throw them on the desk. Well, I never got any duty. I never got any crap jobs. But I remember going in one day and sitting with him. I said, sir, I, I got to do something. He was like, what, what are you talking about? I said, listen, I got, I got no informants. I got nothing. I, I, I got to, if something comes across the desk, so I remember him saying, well, you know, if we get something, if I get a CI or something come in, I'm, I'll, you know, we'll throw it to you. And, and, and he did. And first, first, for whatever reason, he got a phone call. He said, here, I don't know the first thing about informant handling. I don't, I didn't know what the hell I'm doing, to be honest you with you. You didn't have a senior partner back then? No. Remember, Murph, when we first came on, you sank or swim. That's what, that's, wow. there was no, you, you kind of lean it towards somebody. And I did. There was mm -hmm. a guy had a few years on me. And a couple of years on me, he was a great, a great guy. We're still friends to this day. And I'll never forget, we get this, we get this, uh, it was a Colombian informant, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. I, uh, he, we're going to go meet him. Back then in, um, kind of like New York and other places, we had the, the NIN system in, in LA. So you'd, you'd want to put your, your places and stuff in there. So in case another narcotics team was going to go to a place, they'd run it, see if they hit. Deconfliction. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and this was early on, but I'll, I'll never, never forget. So I put it in there. Next thing I get a call from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office. And they said, hey, we, we were deconflicting. Looks like we're targeting the same guy. We'll come and meet you. So now I'm like, okay. So I meet this uh, sergeant. And I forget it, Sergeant Ed Huffman. I'd we'd wind up being one of my close friends who lost him to cancer a few years ago. And we're, we're sitting out there and I tell him, I, I see him. I said, well, Sergeant, I said, this is, and I am like, I feel like I'm back in the military. This is what I got. This is what I have. This is this, that, and the other thing. And he's asking me a million questions. I'm, I'm, this is exactly. You're an open book. You're an open I'm book. I'm just everything. And then he, had, and he was such a, he was such a phenomenal guy, a great mentor. Uh, you know, he looks at me and he asks me a few more questions. And I remember looking at him and I said, Sergeant, can I tell you something? And he just looks at me, yeah, Jimmy, what's up? I go, and I, I'm, this is exactly what I said. I go, I have no idea what I'm doing. And he just looks at me, starts to smile. And, you know, that's, that could be, I said, I have no idea. I said, I've been on the job for like six, seven months. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. And so I'm thinking he's either going to laugh and say, we'll take it from here. See you later. Puts yeah. his arm around me. He said, Jimmy, don't worry. We're going to get through this thing. He says, not, not a problem. Fast forward years later with his family, his brother winds up being a good friend of mine, Bill Huffman, who was a sergeant in another police department. And he still says, you know what? I still remember this day. He said, you're the only Fed who was that honest to me ever. 
but yeah. work with him. And the next thing you know, we're chasing 300 kilos. And they, LA hadn't seen th that kind of dope in a while. It was there, it was coming. And so there's the guys in another group that used to tease me, oh, you're the guy chasing 300 kilos. Well, sure as crap, we wind up getting 350 kilos, 57 assault weapons that were supposedly going back in, listen, this was in uh, 87, or, you know, the end of 87. And wow. so we hit this load and, and I'm like, oh my God. Hey, oh let's God. talk about that because that's a precursor for how you end up developing expertise with controlled deliveries, especially of truck, tractor, trailers and things like that. So let's rewind for a second and and go, how did that case come about? How did that case develop? And the reason I ask you that is I want you to provide some uh, context around, do you think that they there had not been a seizure like this because DEA was so focused on heroin that any info and intel related to Coke and stuff just kind of, I don't want to say went into a circular file, but it, it was deprioritized? Yeah, you know, if I'm, I'm really honest, I... When I look back, first of all, we, we were still growing. Uh, the division was still growing out there. The state and local guys, the guys from the Sheriff's Department and LAPD, they were the kings. They they were the kings of dope. And and I'll never forget um, our sack back then, which pissed me which pissed me off. Um, said LAPD is our bread and butter as an agency. And I'm, and this is what I'm thinking because you're young, you're stupid, you don't really realize what he's trying to say. Mm -hmm. Is that they're not my bread and butter? I'm a freaking DEA agent. We're DEA. That's how I'm thinking. We're DEA. Bread and butter. Bread and butter. My ass. You mean because we were so <laughs> used to, they would make a seizure, they call us up if they got money or something else. We would open. We would open up. Say go over there, seize the dope, seize the money, grab the guys in these instant cases. I'm like, why aren't they calling us beforehand? Because mm -hmm. there was, a, you know, there was some conflict between there. Like, like sometimes there always is. And, uh, and I don't, I don't think, well, even though we had task forces and stuff, I don't think we worked as well with our partners early on. I think that might've been, uh, the issue. I don't know why I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody, but I can tell you from my perspective, I realized, holy crap, this the I'm learning more from these guys over in LASO and this guy's from Huntington park and the Southeast area narcotics enforcement team. I'm going to work with these guys all the time. And, mm -hmm. and so that's, and so when we hit a case or I get something, I call these guys, you know, you call these guys up and say, hey, I'm working on something because everybody in the group is trying to work something. And you call these guys, say, here's what I have. And, and they would come out day or night. And uh, um, so I, I started realizing it's not so much that they're bread and butter, they get, but not only that. So they'll come out. Remember back then we, we had, if you're lucky, you got a helicopter. If you're lucky. Yeah. But I yeah. remember working with some of these guys, some of the guys, especially the SO the, or, or the PD. And say, hey, I got something. And after a while, like anything else, you develop trust with them. And it's important, right. man. You know, you can they can, can count on you can that's what it's all about. You're developing trust with, with these guys. And then they realize, hey, this dopey new kid is he's not a bad kid. He may not know much, but you know, he's fun to be around. But you'd call hey, them out. Yeah. He'd call these guys out and they'd say, Yeah, we got we got Adam and Boy. I'm like, what? He goes, we got Adam during the day. What's that? I got a helicopter during the day, and I got a helicopter at night. I'm like, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Frank. Or, uh, Frank. Frank Capra. Jeez. Jimmy. <laughs> Thanks. I'm working, I'm working on my next film. Go ahead. <laughs> working on your next film. Hey, but you brought up something, too, that I knew as a detective we love the feds for. For one thing you talked about, it's not just simply seizing the dope because you can make a federal case out of it. But the great thing about it for us is that if you took the seizure of the cash federally, there was usually like only a 10% administrative fee. 
and the rest would come back to you. And we, we had a case with the FBI where they did that. Well, then the guy wanted to appeal it. Well, who do you appeal it to? They appealed it to the FBI. The FBI is not going to overrule themselves. No. You know, I'm sorry. Seizure affirmed. No. Is that, yeah. Did it work? That is that the reason why they came to you with the cash back in the yeah, day? Yeah, well, it was the reason they came to the feds, you know. That, and so there wasn't this uh, – there, there you know, we just want to work with you. Is we, were a, we were a mechanism to get it in quicker because back then there was some pretty strict seizure – uh, state seizure law. So I, some of them you had to give 50% to the, you know, to schools and all this other stuff. And if mm-hmm. you came to us, they could get a bulk of the money back. So I get that. I, I, you know, you understand that, but, um, uh, but I would get frustrated and say, Hey, why don't you call us beforehand? You know, I'd love to, you know, we, we have some resources, you know, like we can do some things. And so, um, and that's how this big, when we started getting this regular, I started getting this regular relationship with teams and uh, um, I, I, I remember my supervisor came out one day and said, hey, um, LAPD just called. They want you to go over. They just seized 300 kilos. I'm like, what? In a tractor trailer. And so we go over and, and um, Bill, I think it was Billy Sherman and I went over, talked to these guys. And I thought, hey, what, what, how did you get this? And I'm, you got to understand, I'm talking back then to what we used to call Jurassic narcs. Oh, yeah. These guys have been around a long time. This is their city. They know more about Colombians than, you know, just, you know, amazing. And th- and some of these guys are real apprehensive about telling me anything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I'm, I'm just thinking, man, the tra- trailer, holy crap, man, how much dope. And, and so we take the, we take the case and the guy pleads out. They got, it was a truck driver and somebody else. And, and it got us thinking, I go, how much dope is being moved in these things? That just... Just from a curiosity standpoint, man, you know how fast you could move, you know, cross country, and 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 that started my, you know, my reputation as being the the guy that chases tractor trailers around the country. Well, and let me tell you, as a farm boy and as a trooper, you know, back in the day, who used to stop these things, folks need to understand is that if you stop a truck tractor semi trailer, which was the you know the official term for it, um, those things depending on what highway you were on, they could be loaded up to 80,000 or 85,500 pounds. I mean, and then you've got a 40-foot trailer on the back that has so many places yeah. you can hide things, people, dope. And back before you actually had canines and back before you actually had all the fancy scanning equipment now that the yeah. customs, you know, yeah. the border people yeah. do, this a lot of this had to be intelligence-driven because you could, you could spend all day tearing up a trailer and not get anywhere close yeah. to the dope. That's absolutely right. true. Right. So we we uh, we started looking at more and more of these, and then uh, Billy Sherman and me sat there. I said, "God, there's got to be something." And remember, in the day, everything was teletypes, right? You look at all the teletypes. Oh yeah. And and Epic, which is oh my God, it's now a clearinghouse. Of course, we didn't have SOD no. back then, special operations. Well, you're th- so you're violating a rule. We talked to you about uh, Jimmy. You're you're being to that poor student again. We told you, <laughs> you got to define all the acronyms. So, so let's talk about the, Epic the, and then SOD. At, the El Paso Intelligence Center was this a major clearinghouse. It's a multi-agency clearinghouse for intelligence, where stuff would come in and they'd fuse it. And this is before the Special Operations Division um, um, out of uh, Virginia was was online. So part of their job was they would they would get all this info of seizures from around the country and fuse stuff and kind of make an intelligence product out of it. So we started looking at these at these some of these seizures. And, and Billy and I would lay out these teletypes on the table and say, there's got to be some similarity. And I remember calling 
and down at Epic, I go, he, you know, here's, you know, I'm freaking Jimmy Capper. I'm trying to figure something out. Can you give me all the seizures in tractor trailers? And, and this Intel analyst was amazing. And, and so she said, well, you know, I can get you some here and some there and the ones that are coming across the border, but it all depends on the police departments giving us the information. Cause back then some did, some didn't, it's not, it's not mm -hmm. like today. And so we, we pulled all that stuff in and it, it was like detective work one-on-one. I can see Billy and I laid out these teletypes on a table and we basically did, okay, what's it like with this one? What's it like with this one? What's it like? What about 15 or 20 of them? <clears throat> and so, you know, I looked at each other and I'm writing down on a freaking yellow legal pad. I'm writing stuff down. Oh yeah. Right. And I, and I have this header of about six things. I said, Bill, I said, I bet you we can find one of these here. You know, it's a track trailer, owner operator, stayed down, you know, stayed in one location for too long. And, and I didn't know anything about tractor trailers. I don't know anything about commercial vehicle, you know, side of the world. And Morgan, you'll, you'll love this. And back then, if you looked at a track trailer, it looked like it had 27 freaking license plates on the front. Oh my God, yeah. that was such a nightmare before they had what they call, before they had good regulations, like with the Interstate Corporation Commission, you had the Kansas Corporation Commission, the California, everybody had to have a plate and a fuel permit and this and that. And they looked like a freaking, uh, you know, NASCAR, yeah. you know, sponsored thing. They got all these different sponsor stickers all over it. You know, you couldn't, what's the tag number? I don't know. Pick one. Yeah, so you'd run something that'd say nine <laughs> on five, nine on five. Well, how can it not? There's 27 of them. You know, I'm, I'm being facetious, yeah. but... So I'm looking at stuff. So we decide, um, my dang, I can't think of Mark's name, but he was a senior guy there. And he kept telling us, you guys got something. I'm telling you, Mark Lloyd, Mark Lloyd. I think Mark did some time in Thailand, former, um, did time in Vietnam, was such an edifying guy. He was a real senior guy. I had you know, In LA, when I first got there, there was a couple of, you know, major corruption cases that were going on with a few, you know, a few guys. And Mark had headed that up and he was, he, he was housed with us, but he was such an edifying guy. He would, he, for a real senior guy, you, you wound up going to him and saying, Hey, what do you think about this? And Hey, what about that? And he was, you, you know, cause there was a season where, you know, you're a young guy and, and, and some real senior guy would look at you. Well, you got to make your own bones. You know, get the hell out of here. But Mark Lloyd wasn't like that. He was like, yeah, mm -hmm. hey, look at this. So when we put this basically profile together. He kept saying, you have something, don't. So I, I do, <laughs> I, I, again, this is my military bearing and everything else. I go, hey, we got to call headquarters. There's somebody in the headquarters who's, who's got to know about this. So I call, I think it was the cocaine desk. And I yeah. go, hey, this is, this is freaking Jimmy Capper, a.k.a., you know, Captain America. I said, we got something here. I'm telling you right now. Now, wait a minute. Did you really? Did you really tell people, yeah, hey, I'm, do you know who I am? I'm Jimmy Capper. No, I'm Captain America. No, I mean, you're so excited because I'm going, <laughs> I'm telling you, we're going to find one of these. But I, I figured, I kept thinking kind of, instead of from a tactical position or a local position, I'm thinking kind of strategic in my mind, saying, hey, we got to get this out there. We got to, you know, maybe that's where I come up from. I'm weird, but so I call this guy on the desk who would later become a sack years later. And I said, hey, my partner and I, and I basically, you know, my, like my wife says, I have a lot of words and I'm talking to this guy he goes, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I said, I think we got this profile where we can find these vehicles that are moving dope across the country. And he said, and then I, I tell him about a couple of cases because what happens when Billy and I first came out with the profile, we went out and we got a truck that was sitting in a place. Um, 
It was, uh, was it Christmas Cola? Yeah, it was Christmas Cola. So we went out and this was 80, 88. And so we go out, find this thing. And the long and short of it is 150 kilos in a tractor trailer. It's like, oh my God. Oh my God. We, th there's something here. Call, call the desk. And the guy says, you kid, you're just lucky. We already have something. We have an interdiction program, which was out of South Florida. That was the name of that, Morgan. Um, before convoy. I remember there was a Florida Highway Patrol trooper, I think is the name of Jeff Faison, used to get a, he ended up becoming a sheriff down there. He, that was one of yeah. the premier places where you would learn interdiction techniques because yeah. you had I-4, yeah. you had, I think, I-10 or something going through there. So yeah. and this one he says, no, we already got a program. You're just lucky. I'm like, I can't believe this guy's not listening to me. I mean, he's, he's literally blowing me off. And I'm like, yeah, minute. but Jimmy, the other thing too about that other program, that was you'd have state troopers or other people just stopping vehicles like a, a right. Ford, you know, an LTD, you know, or something. Here's where you hide all the places. Well, you could only hide so much dope in a in a passenger right. vehicle, and it was good. They have the what they call the concealment and the trap database for that stuff. But the but the money, the big loads are the frickin' truck tractor semi trailers. Yeah. I mean, the big rigs that are going up and down the highway to where you can put forty, you know. 50,000 pounds of stuff on there and inside of that hide another three to 400 yeah. kilos of something. So we started figuring out we, what we did is figured out when we tracked all these things that there's this triangle. So it's East coast, South Florida, LA. And so we're pinning all this stuff. said, man, there's, there's really something, you know, something here. And we, we went to try to get some help through some, some Intel stuff. And they, you know, to, to their credit, they tried their best. And, and, but we're, we're so, again, we're these young freaking agents who are just relentless. We're like, I don't care what you said. We're going to keep doing this. So when the guy told me, <laughs> it became sack. The guy told me, he said, you don't know what you're talking about. He goes, you're just lucky, kid. Just like that. Nothing further. I went, oh, F you. We hung up the phone. Yeah. Bill, Bill and I looked at each other and said, let's, let's keep going. Well, the next thing you know, we get a truck that's got 300 kilos. Next thing you know, we get two trucks, 750 kilos. Then we're putting them on C5 Galaxies, and we're flying them across to Jersey. That, you know. And hey, let's talk about that for a second, because I've got experience with one of those. One of our guys on our interdiction unit ended up doing that thing. It is the most awesome thing in the world, because to do a controlled delivery, you don't let the, you don't let anybody drive the truck. You don't want anything happen no. to it. So courtesy of our friends from the Air Force and through DEA. God bless them. Unless, unless you had, you know, unless, unless you had, like on, on one of the early cases, we had the driver that rolled. So you take a chance and then you do the call forwarding thing. He's going to go. Mm -hmm. You take the dope. You still got to put it on an aircraft and fly it out there. And then here's the thing that, that people would have a hard time with. It's going to Jersey or New York. So they get it. Because we're giving them the dope. You don't understand. It's going there. It, so we were so used to got a truck. Guy comes off loads. Boom. We grab him. Okay, son. Got a driver, right? Got the truck driver. And we got 300 kilos. But but you got a mope. All you got is a mope. Right. He probably he doesn't know that's, what's going on. He was given some money to drive yeah. it from point A to now, point now B, he, and that's he, the extent yeah, of his knowledge. And he knows because he's getting paid fifteen, twenty grand. But so, but you're you're not expanding the case. So we we started thinking, Billy and I going, we got we got we got to take a chance and do A, B, and C. So we go, okay, listen. So I got kind of hooked up with a, a guy out of Jersey, Joey Karras. And we, we said, and, and this is what happened. So we'd get a big load. And, and mind you, we'd get these big loads and still not getting any phone calls from, from D.C. So you get this big load, call the guys back. You say, hey, I got 300 kilos in a rig. We just called the military. We're going out to March Air Force Base. We're throwing a tractor on there. We're going to throw a couple of guys on there with the dope. 
We're coming out. We're going to land at Fort Dix. You guys take, we basically go, you guys take it from here. We'll be with you. And people say, how could you do that? Because that's where it's going. You expand it that way. So we started developing these things more and more and more. And you start, then you start to figure out intel-wise, hey, what do we have? Where are we going? How big is this network? And, uh, but Jimmy, just to, to back up a little <laughs> bit there and, and explain to the listeners, this wasn't an, an easy thing to do, no, given no. credit to the office that oh it's my, going to, this was because the, the boss wanted sin. stats. Yeah. This was a, somebody else stats. gets your stats. This was yep. a cardinal sin, man. And you just you, you'd be fighting with people, saying, "Listen, we have to do this." Well, I'll tell yeah. you what, we're going to tell them that we're going to take the dope seizure. Yeah, but yeah, but on that end, they they would. You know, they they try, try to do their best to track it down. And, he, and and at the time, a lot of guys on the East Coast, I mean, leadership-wise, they wouldn't let the dope get 10 feet away from the tractor trailer. And I yeah, it's New York City. It's, you know, Newark, New Jersey. I get it, man. Yeah. So, um, but that's what we started doing. And and so, and again, go back to Mark Lloyd. When I'd say, nobody's, nobody's listening to us. Mark said, keep going. You got something. You got something. So we wrote this profile up called Operation Convoy. We submitted it. And uh, now, wait a minute. Was your official theme song from CW called We Got Ourselves a Convoy? I love that, man. And, uh, and the next thing you know, were you Rubber Duck, by the way? Who yeah. was Rubber Duck? Rubber. So I, I would like to say, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm Captain America. You can be that's Rubber right. Duck. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so that's how I, I started getting involved. And we started banging them, man. We started, you know, we started banging these trucks and we started developing these things and we started developing these control deliveries and making these connections. And then the local PDs uh, were always with us. And now we, so we had this ad hoc task force and every now and then you'd run into some friction with some of the, you know, the PDs that you're working with, cause it's big loads and everything. But, uh, uh, but you get, got to get beyond that. You know what I mean? You get, and right. they have politics too. They, right. You, you don't, you don't realize that at the time as a young agent, you're like, what the f-, you know, but now you look back and say, Hey, they, everybody's got pressure coming from different areas. But at the oh, end yeah. of the you day, some of those some of the small jurisdictions, the chief was like, "No, it's coming through my jurisdiction. Yeah, We're taking it down here." Yeah, matter of fact, so like, the Christmas cola thing that we got, we were so excited about. We got it uh, by the, by that time. Mark Trubel was in our group. He was a senior guy. He came out of Coach Bamba, and we. I, I, I will tell you this, and again, this is what Lloyd would say. He goes, "I've never seen a group in my entire career work like this. I've never seen that," and I think a lot of it had to do with our youth. You know, being young and mm-hmm. full of piss and vinegar, and we we just were relentless. And if if you went out on a deal and you didn't call the rest of the group or some of the guys, they'd get pissed at you. What are you doing? You know, yeah. they wouldn't go home. So when we sat on a truck, we'd get a hotel room. Guys wouldn't go home. You know, they would not. They don't want to go home. They want to stay because it, it was going. Things were happening, and yeah. and we were close. So you you know, I think Truvel and I were the ones with kids. So we'd either go to his house for a barbecue and beers. Uh, or we'd come to my condo, which was smaller, and and you got to not, you not only got to know the team, you got to know their families, and that made a big difference. I mean, it made a huge mm-hmm. uh, uh, difference. And uh, again, I can see Lloyd say, "I've never seen a group work, working like this." And so constantly, you know, constantly going out there. So anyway, I got this, you know, kind of reputation of, you know, being the tractor trailer, Billy and I being the tractor trailer guys, and the group did as a whole too. And they were working a bunch of other things. So everybody, you know, everybody was working. But in one particular case, we were going by the Ramada Inn off of Gage Avenue in L.A. And I spotted this beautiful truck. Went in and ran it. Nothing negative. Go in and talk to the gal inside. She gives me the guy's name and everything. I run it. There's a hit. 
it's it's a minimal hit. Well, and when you say it's a hit too, DEA had their own system because the one thing I wanted to add just a bit of context to uh, the El Paso Information uh, uh, Intelligence, Intelligence Center. Yeah, was actually run by even though it was run by DEA, it was staffed by a lot of yeah, people. That was pretty much a yeah. Yeah, a military. But that was a DEA project, but you had your own intelligence system that you would also check people through. Yeah, it was yeah, and and so you check it to see because every time you wrote a report, it's every like the, the ATF, the FBI. Every time you write a report, you log it in there, so it's you can query and say, hey, what is this? Including phone numbers, and I think there was a minor hit, but the guy was was uh, was been at the hotel for like a week. So you're an owner operator driving a big rig, and you're there for a week. You ain't making money. You got that right. truck's got to move. And so the only reason we got to know that is, again, you know, you look back and go, I say, hey, how do we, how do we find out about this commercial stuff? So California Highway Patrol, we went to them, called them up, said, hey, can we get somebody? So when I look back, it wasn't, my, it wasn't the supervisor at the time who would do this. We did it. We said, go up and call Sacramento California Highway Patrol. So can I talk to a captain or a lieutenant? This is who I am. Blah, 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 blah. We'd like to get somebody assigned here. Here's what we're doing. And they're like, who the hell are you? I'm special agent. Captain. I'm Captain America. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, long and short of it, we we wound up with uh, getting a CHP guy a few years later assigned. But but before he was assigned, we would call him all the time, and so he started teaching us about commercial vehicles and what they could do and what they couldn't do. And so you learn. I mean, you you wind up learning a lot. So anyway, find this rig, get out there. We're sitting on it. I remember looking out the hotel room, and I see a freaking. Five cars all following each other come in. I go, that's another team. Another team's on something. Yep. So I meet with these guys. And I think I told you yesterday, I've never seen a more beautiful group of narcotics agents in my life. Muscle heads, shorts, you know. Uh, um, Good tans. Yeah, man. I mean, muscles. And and I'm like, I'm looking at this one guy. I go, where's his gun? Where? And he's going, listen, you know, we got something on this truck at ABC. And I go, great. And so I give him this whole, I give him the Jimmy Capra tractor trailer profile spiel, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Dah! and I'm all excited. Like I said, back then I'm smoking, probably eating a sausage sandwich and I'm getting all excited. And I'm, and he's sitting there <laughs> to this day. I can see one of the guys waving his hand in front of his face to get the smoke out of it. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So I'm telling him this and telling him that. He goes, well, this, you know, we've been working this truck for a while. And I had a funny feeling the guy's lying to me, but I, Hey, we can work it together. We can work it together. But they were being reluctant. Anyway, long and short of it, the guy says, okay. He leaves Bill Huffman, which was Ed Huffman's brother who worked at a Huntington Park, looks at me, goes, you told him too much. I said, what? He says, you told, you told him too much. He goes, they're going to screw you. No, no, these are all the cops. They're not going to do that. The truck starts to move or the cab moves. They leave the trailer. So we get out there. We start following Next thing you know, the other team's on him. Next thing you know, I get a call from my supervisor. It says, hey, we got a complaint from this police department that you're getting in their way and you're causing hazardous something. I'm like, what the hell? Next thing I know, we, we're at a truck stop in Riverside. And the guys that I'm working with, now these are all these are all state and local narcotics guys from small departments, this ad hoc team. And this one guy, <laughs> one guy comes up and goes, I'm going to beat the shit out of this guy. I'm telling you right now. We're going to fight him. We're going to keep my son. No, no, Jesus. No. <laughs> the guy said he's going to beat the shit out of what? The truck driver? No, no. The, uh, the police department. The other guy, the sergeant. Uh, everything. Oh, the, oh, okay. The pretty boys. So, dude, <laughs> they want to fight him. So, Jimmy, we're not going to take this shit. Thank God, I'm sorry. We're not going to take this shit. 
And I'm like, oh, guys, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So I get the sergeant. I pull him off their side, and I'm pissed. I go, listen, man. I said, this is crazy. I said, you're not talking to us. We're not talking to you. These guys want to want to literally, this is not how it should be. Again, what do I got on the job? Um, and who says there's no cooperation with state, yeah. local, and feds? I mean, we want to get there first so we can beat your yeah, ass. So I, 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 you know, of course, and again, I'm young, still naive, and going, I don't understand this. Why don't you want to work? You know what I mean? I'm like, you're so naive. And so I go, you can have it. I said, I'm going to tell you something right now. I said, I'll have a, I'll have another truck in a week. I'm telling you. But this is crazy, and, and I, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's perfect. I'm trying to be really above board. Um, yeah. even though I was still young and naive and everything. So we leave and I get these guys. I said, look, guys, this wasn't working. This, so this team that I'm with, CNET, Southeast Area Narcotics Enforcement Team, Huntington Park, Maywood, Bell Cudahy, Southgate, these are all one and two man narcotics teams that said, hey, we'll work with you, Jim. We, we got this ad hoc task force. We'll work with you. I have them out there literally for a week, 24-7. And now this young agent, he's got two years on the job, pulls everybody off, says, Guys, I'm sorry. This is not worth it. I guarantee you we'll, we'll get another one. We'll get another one. So they all went home, and the next thing you know, a week later, <laughs> a week later we're on one of the biggest cases still in history. Well, and let's lead into that, too, because you bring up a good – I learned this, too, from working with uh, federal agents and some state agents, too. That's where I first learned the story. Have you ever heard the story about the young bull and the old bull? I, you know, I think I did hear that. This old bull goes a little bit slower. Well, it's a young bull and old bull sitting on top of the hill overlooking this pasture, and there's a group of cows, and the young bull says, let's run down there and have our way with one of the cows, and the old bull goes, let's walk down and have our way with oh. all of them. It's like, you know, I was always that young bull, yeah, let's go down and get one. Yeah, yeah. And you get so short-sighted because you don't realize if slow is smooth, smooth is fast. If you just take your time and get down there, you can make much bigger cases. You can have a much bigger impact, but I think... You you hit upon a key problem I dealt with when I was doing the work inside of justice on information sharing. That was my first experience meeting Derek Maltz, by the way. Um, <laughs> he is a continuing threat in all of our stuff. But but you know it was it was all of these folks who just they wanted to make the case as opposed to let's really solve crime. Yeah. I mean yeah you can get a stat, but to your point you can arrest the truck driver or let's do the controlled delivery and work this thing up and find out really where it's originating. So I say all of that to kind of let's not gloss over too much your lead up into what is going to become one of the, if not still the biggest case that happened out there. So let's talk about the lessons you learned out of this one. And how did you come about developing the info, uh, the profile and stuff to lead you into this next case, which is going to be the, the, you know, the tip of the iceberg that leads into the bigger stuff. So let's start setting the context and the groundwork. Who, what kind of organizations were involved in this? Who were you seeing in terms of the cartels that were involved? And what were some of the main corridors that you were focusing on where you were finding these truck tractor semi-trailers? Yeah, so we knew that this great triangle was out there. If you looked at a map of the United States, so we knew it was West Coast, East Coast, South Florida. We, we knew that. We knew all the drivers were, had a, a Latin descent. Cuban drivers, mostly Cuban drivers, to be honest with you. Um, and so, but we knew that when we were, were looking at it from a profile standpoint, even back then we knew we can't mention the drivers. We don't mention, even though, even though we find out it, it's, uh, you know, the dope dealers are not going to go to um, Yellow Freight and hire them to move stuff. It's not going to happen. You know, it's, it's just not going to happen. That's why they had to, and, and a term of art too, for folks too, when you're an owner operator, it means you own right. your own rig. I mean, the trailers belong to somebody else, but you own your rig. 
and you and you charge somebody to haul their trailers, their semi trailers, you know, somewhere throughout. But you're an independent businessman, so to speak. Right. And and back then, got to figure out back then is we we're part of the problem too because it's like okay, just want to grab it and move on. And so when you when you're thinking about listen, we got to advance this thing. And this just wasn't my you know I, this you'd run these up the guys that you work with and and when you have your your teammates and your partners, not my supervisor, mind you, say, that's a good thing. We should keep going. And you got guys, like I said, Mark Lloyd and Mark Truebill going, that's a good thing. It's chancy. It's iffy, but let's do it. Because no one no one was doing that at the time. You, you know what I mean? No one was – we weren't uh, – and, and maybe that was a good thing about being young and being a risk taker in terms of, oh, my God, what if we lose it? What if we lose the dope? Well, it's not going to find up – that dope is not going to wind up in PS, you know, 140. That's going to another doper. Right. But there was always when, this. Go ahead, bud. Was was there a significance attached to most of the drivers being Cuban? Was there a big Cuban population there, in California? Uh, out of Miami. Most of the drivers were out of South Florida. And so, right. and so if, when you talk to them, most of them were all Mariels. They came over. And then when you look at the markings on the kilos. That, that's you know, how we looking, knew. When, when Morgan asked, what would you know? is So back then, gosh dang it, Murph, maybe you remember the operation so you fountainhead yeah fountainhead so we would get these markings take a picture of it send it to epic and they'd say hey this belongs to so and i didn't know a whole lot back then about the medine or the cali cartels initially I, I mean i didn't you're you know you're a kid in you know in los angeles and you're trying to get dope but one of the things as you start to think beyond yourself and you start to think beyond local and, and start to think globally you start realizing this this big picture of what's impacting the United States and how significant that is and how significant those narco dollars are, and how significant that is, is destroying economies and, and mm -hmm. nations. And you don't, you know, you first start out, you don't think that way. You think I'm Captain America. I'm putting bad guys in jail and that's going to mm -hmm. be good. And all of a Take sudden, a dope off the street. Yeah. All of a sudden things starting to go and you're going, Holy crap, this is, this is worse than what these some of these real smart guys are writing about in terms of how big it is, you know, how mm -hmm. how huge, how much money, because corruption is the linchpin for everything. Mm -hmm. So uh, as we've run these markings, as we get this dope, we start seeing, oh, this this belongs to this guy, this belongs to who, this belongs to Medellin, this is Cali, and and so th those became important. You realize how not just the amount, but what about the markings? What about Right, this is the predecessor to SOD. What about the phone numbers? What what are these mm -hmm. guys carrying? You know, wh whose numbers are they connected to? So we started running numbers like that. We started going, okay, these things are important, and putting them in databases. So, hey, and uh, Jimmy, too, to put it in perspective for people, if they're looking at a map, the reason this tied it so well together because Miami sits right on ninety five. So I mean, it's, it runs down to there. So you can take ninety five goes all the way up through the East Coast through Virginia, you know, up into New York. But then at Jacksonville, you hit I-10, and I-10 now is a east-west corridor to go to Los yeah. Angeles. And by the way, just pulling up the map, it's really cool. You go to Santa Monica, which is outside L.A., and you can see the actual beginning about a mile from the beach of where I-10 starts. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's true. And it's, but, but to your point, that's, that's why trucks uh, made such a natural uh, vehicle for this, you know, pardon the pun, because— there are tons. Of, I mean, interstate is just loaded with yeah. trucks. I mean, you th and then you think about the trucks coming across the border. We'll talk about NAFTA later. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of millions of vehicles out on the highway. And unless you've got that profile, unless you know what you're looking for, you're basically, it's the equivalent of a needle in a haystack. Yeah. You get lucky because a trooper stops a vehicle 
something doesn't add up as opposed to you guys are using a lot more science now to say, we are looking for these characteristics of somebody. And your point too, if somebody's sitting in a hotel for a week, mm-hmm. these owner operators, like you say, unless they're sitting on money, they're losing yeah. money. And why can they afford to stay in a hotel for a week? Because they just got paid 20 grand or 50 grand or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's, right. it's not the right. local trucker hotel, the Motel 6 or some flea bag. It's there oh, God, no, not to... Hilton or, 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 and that's what we go after. We never went to truck stops. We went to the local nice hotels in the area. So that's, yeah. you know, that's kind of what we did. But we're, you know what, what's happening is when you look back, is we're learning and we're learning fast. We're realizing, you know, hey, wait, we got to, let's keep looking beyond this. What does this mean? You know, what does this mean not in terms in the country, how much dope is actually coming in? What does this mean in terms of what we got going on in South America? What does this mean? So, and Murphy, you'll appreciate this. Remember at the height of the cocaine cowboys days, you know, the whole Tony Montana, we'll get into that later, but dope was coming into South Florida like a friggin' sieve. And that's that's when they started the task force down there under Vice President uh, Bush before it began. They started a task force, and you dump tons of money, tons of interdiction there. We find this out later, right? And we realize they're making an impact by stopping boats coming in from the islands, uh, up in the Gulf, right, when all the smugglers are coming up in the Gulf. I mean, the joint task force is doing a hell of a job. The dopers, they'll go, eh, I know what we'll do. We, we've got, we have, you know, Mexican bad guys that have been moving people and goods up through the southwest border for years. We'll just use those. And, and we started, we watched that happen because we were going, wait a minute, I got, a, I, got, I got networks in East Coast and Florida coming to L.A. to get dope. I don't understand mm-hmm. this. Well, we became a choke, choke point in South Florida. Yeah. <clears throat> so we start to witness this and go, oh, man, this is, this is what's happening. And so now you, forget, <laughs> you're trying to talk to people about this. Say, I think this is what's happening. And people look at you, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about, kid. So, okay. It all comes through South Florida. You can't come into California. What are they going to go to? Then they going to South Florida. What are they going to go to, to LA for? And mm-hmm. before we hit the big case, you know, Sherman and I would sit, and the guys in the group would sit because Mark Tubal did time in, in South Florida, and so we're sitting there going, "I think this is happening." We'd sit there going, "Man, this this is a this is a big thing." I mean, from a from understanding uh, uh, smuggling trafficking, this is a big, you know, the, this is a big deal. Well, and Jimmy, just from a logical standpoint, if you throw a lot of money, resources, and you start choking off the supply routes, you start choking off coming into Miami, it's displacement. It displaces it to somewhere else. So the question is, where does it displace right. it to? You didn't stop it. No. You've no. just displaced it's exactly. it. Right. So, uh, and, you know, and you come into South Florida, you're, you're not having – you do go out and build alliances with the Caribbean islands. But yeah, it's no, not like Mexico where it's a border. We know you can you can interdict anywhere on the open ocean that you want to. No, that's exactly. I mean, it, it's exactly right. So th- this is coming, and all this stuff is coming in so fast. You know, in terms of you, know, you got to learn a lot. You tr- you're trying to, and, and mind you, you got a couple of years on it. I got a couple of years on the job. You know, so you're yeah. half-assed intimidated, but you got good. You know, some senior guys who are going. You're, you're onto something. You got a good group of men and women who goes, hey, let's go, you know, let's do it. So that changes the kind of the, the, the dynamic. If it was any other way, maybe it wouldn't have happened like that. I, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to guess, but it didn't. We were, we were kind of relentless as a team. We were relentless. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and it's good that you had the senior guys there. That's in Miami, the group I went into, there were there were only four senior guys, and all the rest of us were fresh out of the academy. Yeah. But a couple of those senior guys knew the job. Gene Frankar, Kenny Peterson, I mean, just outstanding folks to work yep. with. So, matter of fact. So let's, yeah, <laughs> so as you're doing that, let's start now setting setting our path. So now we're setting the context. So it, it's hard to get people's attention, but you're still pushing forward, right? Because, you know, kid, you don't know what you're talking about. It, that's That hasn't stopped you yet, obviously, because you're a New Yorker. <laughs> not, not, that stuff doesn't bother you, right? So <laughs> so let's start talking about now that you've built up this kind of this database of knowledge, you know, in your head or these profiles, how does that start working now for this next seizure we're talking about? So now start, take us on that path now towards identifying it, you know, making the case. Yeah, so now... You know, now we kind of know what we're looking for in terms of, hey, this is this kind of fits the bill, this fits the profile type of stuff. And not only that, we're working with um, we're working with like every day we're working with ATF, and and that that we just teamed up. Billy Queen was the agent that we're working with, and, and uh, Billy retired some years ago. He's got a book out called Under and Alone. He's just a terrific guy. Another guy, former, I think M60 gunner and a in the army and uh, uh, the tail end of Vietnam, I think he was there, but Billy just was relentless. So we, we kind of teamed up with him and a couple of his guys, Mike Dawkins and some other guys that were always with us on these cases. And I would say, wait a minute, I'm shocked. Two federal agencies <laughs> yeah. working together like brothers. So, Who knew? I know. So, but, and, and some time to time we say, Hey, Bill, is your boss is getting pissed because, you know, we haven't found any guns with anybody yet. He goes, no, nah, no, nah, we can, we can do this. We're going to do this. So, one of, uh, like I told you, when, it, when we had that run in with that PD and I told him, hey, we'll find, you know, another case in a week. I'm out doing a search warrant with my buddy, Ed Huffman. And I get a call from Billy Queen because he had been with us on a lot of these truck cases. And he said, and I'll never forget. So, of course, we got beepers back then, you know, beepers, you know, people, are like, what the hell is that? Oh, yeah. I got a beeper. And I look down and I got a phone number with a 911 after it. So I get on it. And it's Billy he goes, Jimmy, he goes, we got a tractor trailer in Silmar. I said, okay, no, what, what, what do you know about it? He goes, we got a, we got a duty call, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. I said, okay. And here's what we, fi- here's what we find out. So in, in a, uh, in a warehouse, a small light warehouse section in Selmar, California, uh, this guy who owns a little tiny little factory or something, he makes widgets, is a former truck driver. And so every week, this tractor trailer, giant tractor trailer pulls into a Batson to this tiny little warehouse area, a little taking up all the room. Well, the guy who winds up becoming, you know, an informant for us is a former track trail driver. And he's pissed because he hears the tractor trailer. It doesn't sound good. He can tell they're not taking care of it. He's actually more pissed about that than anything else. But he's a little... So this guy's got no clue of criminal activity. He's just saying, you guys aren't taking care of your equipment no, correctly. That's, You're that's pissing gets me off. And, you know, start it. But then he starts looking and goes... These guys are well-dressed guys. They're being kind of real surreptitious, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. So we go out. It's just not all adding up. Yeah, so so Billy Sherman and I go out. So we said, all right, listen, we're going to some. I never forget. Said, hey, I'm going out to Silmar. We're from downtown LA out to Silmar at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's going to be a nightmare. So Bill says, come on, I'll jump in with you. So we go out to Silmar. On the way out there, just as we get off the, the friggin' freeway, I pass a hotel, a shithead hotel and there's another beautiful truck sitting there I go whoa, whoa 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 stop so i run the truck i run by then now we're hooked in with to dot now we're hooked into the icc people you know interstate commerce commission department mm-hmm. of transportation so now i got access to all these numbers and we're running and there's 
hits left and right on this tractor trailer. And I'm like, oh, Billy, this is going to be a good one. We're going we're gonna to have to. No, no, let's go out and talk to this guy. A couple of miles away, we go out, we talk to this guy. And we're fat, dumb, and happy. We just pull into the lot, you know. When you say you're talking to, which guy are you talking this to? Is the, the original this guy? This is the informant. That, well, he would be an informant. informant. Okay. And so literally, we pull in, not thinking about anything. We're not, we're not taking any, we're not being served. There's just nothing. We go in, hey, here's who I am. Thank you very much. And this guy starts going off. He goes, something's not right. I'm just telling you. And we're looking around. This is a kind of a nice area. This is a relatively nice area. So I go, okay, thanks a lot. I mean, Billy and I get back in the car. I go back out to look at this other tractor trailer. And because we're looking at the warehouse where he's talking to, which is, and there's nobody there. You know, there's, I think, was there a car outside? No, there's just nobody there. We literally went up to the door. There's a glass door. And I got my hands to kind of look in. That's how, eh, it's nothing. I'm thinking, eh, it's nothing here. No big deal. Go out to look at the other truck. And I was going to call it. This is absolutely true. And Bill looks at me and goes, hey, let's go back to that other place. Yeah, okay. So we go back. We park outside at a, at a fence on the other side. And we're just sitting there. And I, like it was yesterday. I light up a smoke, roll down the window. Got the radio tunes playing. This pickup truck with a cat pulls on, pulls in. And I'm going, oh, this is kind of interesting. Two guys, very well-dressed. They look like well-dressed white guys. I mean, slacks, nice. Oh, they're going into our warehouse. Huh. He's got a key, opens the door, goes in. And I hear something start up. I'm like, what the hell is that? The roller doors come up, and this guy's coming out to the back of the pickup truck with a forklift. Now I'm going, hey, this is kind of interesting. They're... I should ask Billy, they're like 40 feet from us, maybe, on the other side of a fence. And he reaches into the cap, and he's struggling with a U-Haul box that I say, that's a 50-kilo box. I knew right away. You can't tell me. I know what a 50-kilo box is. That's a 50-kilo box. So Bill and I decide to get tactical and crouch down in the car. It's too late. He's never seen us. <laughs> I'm like, shit. You are 40. I mean, you're 40 feet away. I mean, that's surveillance 101, man. That's pretty damn. That's like that's like in the movies. You see the car tailing the other car. Nobody ever sees yeah. them, and they're like 10 feet it's, off their bumper driving through the countryside. You don't even need binoculars. No, it's, so I'm like, shit, shit, no. That's, that's, they're picking up dope, and I'm so excited. So I'm, I'm, you know, trying to call the, the, this is how bad the radio system was back then. So I'm trying to call the group, get the fuck out of here. Come on, come on. There's at least a hundred kilos going in this warehouse. And, uh, um, so they grab two boxes that go in. I go, that's a hundred kilos, baby. And I'll never forget this guys go in into the warehouse. Sherman looks at me to this day. He goes, let's take them. Let's take them. He says, we can do it. Let's jump, jump the fence and we'll take them. I said, no, dude, no, dude, let's, let's call. <laughs> <laughs> There's two of you, unknown targets on yeah, the inside. It's, it's, we can take them. I said, let's call the group out. So now I get a hold of the guys. <laughs> then the past last week that had out for for 24 seven, right? The team that I had on that we're going to fight the other guys with. I called them up. And never forget. Call Billy Huffman. I said, Bill, I'm in Silmar, California. This is what I got. I know 100 kilos went in there. By now, people believe. Now they're believing me. And now they. Uh -huh. And Bill did it. He already was like a big brother to me. He said, okay, I'll get the team. It's going to take us a little time, but we'll get out there. And I called Mark Trubel up. He was in the group. I said, Mark, this is what I got. A, B, C, D, F, G. I'm telling you. And then I never got Mark says, hey, Jimmy, are you sure? I go, Mark, I'm positive. Three o'clock on a, was it a Friday. I forget. But they all come out. The whole team comes out there. By the time we get everybody down, 
by the time we get everybody down, the guys inside the warehouse come out. They have, now they're in a van, small little like minivan, and both of them leave and we go, we're not going to be able to follow these guys. There's no way, but they're going to be back. Figure they're going to be back. So they leave. I'm itching going, God, I can fire these guys. The team comes out. It's now about five o'clock in the afternoon. And, uh, everybody's sick. I go, look guys, I'm telling you right now. And I'm, you know, I am, I am so excited because I know there's a hundred kilos in that warehouse. There's a hundred kilos. So, Hoffman looks at me, Billy looks at me, he goes, okay, goes out, he looks, let me look around the place. So outside the warehouse, in a little area between the fence and the warehouse, there's all these U-Haul boxes, they're all crushed down. He goes, listen, let me get a dog. We'll have, we'll run a dog by the thing, that might help us out. So, okay, so we get a dog from one of the local PDs, comes out, the dog goes batshit, literally carving through every, I mean, the dog, I, I've seen dog hits before, but this dog went crazy. I'm like, well, this is great. And then they yeah, go. There's so much dope. The dog's OD in himself. So they go. Well, we can get the walk tonight. And so I look. Mind you, I got Billy and I both have maybe two years on the job. And they go, "What do you want?" Never forget, uh-huh. Bill Hoffman. He goes, "What do you want to do?" Now this is a seasoned narcotics agent. Trouble could have taken over as well. Trouble could have said to me, "This is what we're going to do." But they got to ask, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I think it's best if we go out, we follow, we try to figure out where the dope is coming from." ABC. So the senior guy, Mark Trouble, says, "Okay." The senior friggin' sergeant says, okay, we'll do that. What time? I said, I'm going to be out here at 4. I'll set up. So the next morning, we set up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Team starts rolling at about 5. Set up in the area. Now, outside the warehouse, there is a phone number for commercial real estate. This, and I decide, I'm going to call these guys. What the hell? We got nothing to lose. I know there's dope in there. So by 9 o'clock, um, oh, so anyway, what happens early in the morning, guys show up. Top, you know, doors open up, they throw a box inside a car and they leave. Now we have a whole team following them. So they go and I yeah. stay on the warehouse. That, and just explain that, Jimmy. Why did you follow those guys? Well, now we know it's going somewhere. You know, now, now they're taking dope to go somewhere. So now we want to put that, now we want to expand the cases. Who's it going to? Is and, it, you know, is, is it going to somebody else? Are they involved? It's going. They're either taking it to a customer or something else. So now we have a... F- and plus, we, we, we don't let dope work. No, no, no. Well, we, and we're pretty... Like, again, if somebody says, did you know it was dope? I said, well, based... It, I'd be... It's like writing a warrant. Based on your training experience, you know that box. That right. U-Haul box probably got dope in it. So the team right. leaves, and they, they go with it. It means somebody else stayed, you know, stayed behind. I call the commercial number up. I call whoever it is. I said, I need to talk to somebody about a warehouse in Silmar, California, off of Bradley Street. This is exactly what I got. He goes, oh, 12898? Unit A, I went, oh, shit, we're burned. We're done. And I went, yeah. He goes, yeah, come on down and talk to me. I went, this guy's going to make phone calls. It's going to be over. No phone. Again, mind you, we don't have any phones. We're working on beepers. Got to stop mm-hmm. on pay phones. So I go out there, talk to the guy, nicest guy in the world. He goes, you know, we always suspected that these guys were friggin' no good. I go, well, why? Why didn't you call? He goes, how come you never called? He goes, oh, no, they pay great. They pay they all everybody like every three months we get a different guy that pays us in twenty dollar bills, three thousand dollars a month. I went, okay. I said, can I get copies of the paper? So now copies of the paperwork. I got names and stuff. And and these are not the, you know, these aren't the sharpest tools in the shed. So we got real names and they're all from Mexico. So they're they're oh, all geez. from Mexico. So I get back and I'm like, holy shit, this is pretty good. Now somebody shows up, there's a car swap. 
we decide to take another person. So now me and my team take this car and we're driving all over. We wind up going to a nice area, I think in Sherman Oaks, to like these executive condos. And we put these guys down in these, these condos. And um, so we put them down in the condos. And I, again, I, I said, well, these are nice areas. Let me go talk to the manager of the condos. We, we've, we pinned the guy to a parking spot with a number on it. And we don't know who these are. Mm-hmm. There are. So I went, you know, we badged ourselves. It was Sherman and I again. So here's what I'm looking for. This is ABC. We're doing a narcotics investigation. You, I don't know if we get that kind of help anymore, but this guy was like, yes, sir. Come right in. Here's copies of this. Here's, I got all these. Now I got names. I got names. Everybody. I got one, two, three, four names of people all from Mexico, all with their names, passport numbers. I'm like, this is great. I still don't know what we have. You got to understand. I think there's a hundred kilos in the warehouse. Yeah. And how, how big is your team now? How many folks have you got out on the team right now between surveillance and watching and, and stuff going on? How well, many folks we do you have, have out? We have one team that's still with, you know, was still on a, well, actually they, the car that they followed out that did surveillance on, he made surveillance and he dumped the car. And so what they did smart, because they were smart cops is they watched the guy get out. He burned surveillance. So he, he, he made that he was being followed. He went inside a restaurant or a bar and he kept looking out. And so Huffman, Bill Huffman called me, goes, what do you want to do? I said, Bill, you're the senior. I mean, this is how it was. You, you make the call, what, whatever you want to do, because we're burned through Christmas. Okay. He said, we're going to jack him. We're going to jack the guy up and talk to him. I said, all right, that's fine. So meantime, we're, we're at the condo, right? We're, we're up, we're up at the condo. So we got the place for the condo. Bill calls back. He says, we're going to do, we says, we, we, we got the guy. He can't hardly speak English and, uh, or didn't speak English at all. I said, okay. He said, um, so we asked him what his name was. This is this this is what the guy says. My name is Ronald Reagan. He said, No, 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 come on, kid. What's your name? He said, My name is him, my name is Ronald Reagan. There's, well, now there's we got a Captain certain, America listen, gonna arrest so now we Ronald got, Reagan. We got a box that's in the trunk. He's telling us he's Ronald Reagan. So they said, We're gonna get it. We're not because they, they could have tossed the car, right? On their, they they could have just tossed it. He banned it because he didn't take. So we're gonna get a search warrant for it. Smartest thing. The, the, back then the DA in LA County was, we loved them. I can't think of the guy's name. They got a search warrant for the car inside the car. There's, there's 20 kilos, but in that search warrant guys, it's the, I think it was DJ Fitzgerald who did the first search warrant. He writes the search warrant says when we approached, you know, the suspect day or whatever it was, um, uh, uh, when we asked him for his name, he identified himself as Ronald Reagan. And it says, you're, you know, the, the detective so-and-so is familiar who Ronald Reagan is, and this is not Ronald Reagan. It's in the search warrant. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's, I, it's just the funniest damn thing. So I get a call. Yeah, but you got to articulate. You got to so get a call. Now we're getting into nighttime, right? We're, we're now into early evening, nighttime. I get a call. I say, hey, we've got 20 kilos. I said, great. He said, give me the information from there. We'll go back. We'll write a, a, where, we'll write a search warrant for the warehouse. We're going to write a search warrant for the condo. Good. Giddy up. So we get there. Now it's pushing on 9.15, 9.30. I would get a search warrant for the both places. So Bill and I and our team now go knock on the door for the condo. And uh, we get inside. And I recognize the guy who's sitting there. He's one of the guys who was driving the vehicle. So not thinking because I'm, I'm I say, hey, buddy, you know, I forget what I said. Hola. You know, so we, we search the place. It's really, there's some money in there, nothing else. I'm asking the guy. You know, hey, where, where are the keys to the warehouse? The warehouse door was glass. This is how we're thinking. The warehouse doors are glass. So 
we're thinking, hey, try to get the keys because it's going to be a bitch to board this thing up late at night. You're going to get the 100 kilos. <laughs> so I asked the guy, I asked the guy over and over again, none of us speak Spanish. I, I think one of the local cops did. So he hands us keys because here's the keys. There's like 10 keys on a ring, you know? So, so I finally get a hold of Mark. Mark says, dude, we, we're, we're pushing on, you know, 10 o'clock. We can't do it. So I give the keys to Sherman. I said, get out there. Well, wait a minute. You're pushing on 10 At o'clock night. and you can't do it. Why? Because the search warrant was only good till, I forget what the hell was the rule. You can't do it after 10 o'clock at night or whatever. It says, we got to get in before 10. Was that a federal <laughs> search warrant state, or a state search state. warrant? It was for state-wise. Um, and I forget, I, like I said, I forget. So sure. No, I think, I think that was right. Unless it was like, um, you know, California was a little word, but I think unless somebody's life was in yeah. jeopardy or whatever else, they yeah, had this yeah. rule that said 10 o'clock. You couldn't yeah, do yeah, yeah. between 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. or something. Yeah, like exactly. That. So, you know why? Because criminals need their sleep. By God, if you're right. going to get up and do your criminality, you got to get a good night's that's sleep. Exactly that's right. right. So, Sherman, because remember back then, Mark, we got no lights and sirens on our cars. We got nothing. Yeah. Sherman has a little yeah. red light. Said, dude, you got to get out there before 10. Hey, players, that's the end of part one of Jimmy Capra and his seizure of 21 tons of cocaine, the largest one in the Los Angeles area. We've got a lot more coming up in part two, which will come out on Thursday. In the meantime, go visit our website, gameofcrimespodcast.com. We've got a lot of great stuff there. We've got our merch. We've got our uh, book list that you can go to. Jimmy's books will be on there. Remember, he's got six books out that he has written, everything from kids' books to uh, a book on leadership, so you'll see all of them there on our book list. Also, go visit us on the socials, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram, but go visit us at patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have a ton of good stuff there, new stuff coming out, including our new segment called 911, What's Your Emergency? This one's going to be fun. We've got a lot of good episodes coming up. So everybody, thank you for staying tuned. We've got part two of Jimmy Capper and his monster seizure of 21 tons of cocaine coming up next.